0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. This episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, facilitating adventurous conversations, much like I hope we do here on Raw, freshtracks.co.uk. Now, before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people that really helped the show incredibly this past month with their support of $50 or more. Here we go. Emails Moto Tours. John Dixon. John Rappas. Edward Fleming. Eric Weedman, Michael Rogers, Stephen I Thank you all very much. So great to have people appreciate what we're doing here and show that by supporting anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do, but um, you can uh, support with any amount. Drop by adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we do another show every single week called Adventure Rider Radio. Again, drop by the website and you'll see what we're doing, adventureriderradio.com. Now, on this episode, we're starting with a listener question. Yesterday's travel, and the possibility of doing a trip without using the technology that we all have today and that we all use to try to experience an adventure like our, some of our co-hosts have maybe 20 years ago. Then we're going to move on to what gun are you packing for motorcycle travel and where are you hiding it? And then finally, we're going to talk about Road hazards around the world, what they are, how to avoid them, and what it feels like if you don't avoid them. Here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for August 2021. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely... Unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined with my regular esteemed Overland co host. I'm going to start once again with Sam Mancom in the UK. Hello, Sam.
1: Oh, hello, Jim. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, it's great to be back recording Raw again. This is something I really look forward to every month. And if you can hear any weird noises in the background, there's some sort of sport going on down the pub, and um, the, it's it's obviously going well because there's lots of shouting. I've no idea what it is. I really got to have a look.
0: Beer pong or something, or they're watching something on TV. Uh,
1: no, they'll be down. The, uh, yeah, well, they're big screens, this sort of stuff. Um, they're all down the pub, celebrating, shouting, um, drinking lots, um, having a good time. Right, and you're feeling left out. No, not at all. We, we just open the windows and we know what the score is.
0: Oh, <laughs> I see. You just don't know what the game is.
1: Exactly. <laughs> well, we, we, we just get a buzz off the vibe from that.
0: Right. <laughs> Michelle Lafayre is in the U.S. Michelle, hello, and you are in the middle of a huge festival.
2: I am. Hi, Jim. Hi, everybody. Uh, Yes. In fact, if you hear any noise in the background here, it's probably motorcycles. Uh, Lots and lots of them. Tens of thousands going by all the time. So Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is in full swing this week.
0: It's unbelievable when you say tens of thousands. I mean, it it just sounds like hyperbole. You know, it's it's tough to imagine that many motorcycles in one place.
2: Well, I, I should say tens of thousands going through Custer, and I'm 75 miles from Sturgis. So oh. up in Sturgis, it's hundreds of thousands of motorcycles. I think they're expecting 750,000 to 1 million people this week.
0: That's incredible. Wow. That is absolutely yeah. incredible. And everybody's spending a lot of money, I'm sure.
2: A lot of money, absolutely.
0: I, I remember riding, and in, in, there was a ride, this is when when I was in early 20s, I went to a ride for sight. It was a fundraiser thing. We met in this massive parking lot and it was full of motorcycles. And when they, they sort of signaled everybody to start up and all these bikes started up, it was amazing. Like just the sound of all these motorcycles, all different kinds of motorcycles. And then everyone pulls out and we basically had um, the roads blocked off. The police were assisting and everything. And it was the most incredible sound. I think that's what I always remember from this thing was the sound and the feeling of all these bikes running. Now, I'm not talking even close to the number of bikes that you're talking about. So, I mean, I I, I can't imagine.
2: It rumbles around here. Literally, you can physically feel it. It's not just the sound. The ground <laughs> rumbles um, because at any given moment, there's just dozens of bikes going right by my house all the time. It's just a steady roar until about 10, 30 or 11 at night. And then surprisingly, everybody must tuck into their campgrounds or hotels or go to the bars and they're kind of off the streets. And it gets nice and quiet, at least in this part of the Black Hills. And yeah, it's it's been, I think, a... Uh, good weather and, and a good rally so far. So,
0: Shirley Hardy-Ricks and Brian Ricks are in Australia, bright-eyed and bushy tail Good morning to the both of you.
2: Good morning,
3: good morning from the town of the most beautiful sunrise this morning. Just oh, gorgeous.
0: That's very nice. Yeah. You have sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have sun. We had that is late. an improvement.
3: Sun. Sunday, sunny day yesterday and it looks like it's going to be sunny for a little while today until the rain comes. So we're We're good.
0: Well, I just mean like most times it's dark, isn't it, when we're talking? I mean, you're getting yeah, up and so we start out getting, and it's dark.
3: Well, it's getting into towards spring and my garden is full of yellow and white uh, jonquils and daffodils and the tulips will come out in about another month. So it's it's a very pretty time of the year here, if not a little bit chilly, mm. but not chilly on your standards.
4: Uh, yeah, really. But uh, first of all, I'd like to have a shout out to the Texans who rode up to Sturgis. They probably rumbled past your place, Michelle. Ron, JJ, and Hans and Rick and two of their mates made it all the way from Texas up to Sturgis with, I think they said 700,000, Michelle. So yeah, um, they had a great ride and they're on their way home now soon,
0: I think.
3: We tried um, to get them to pop in and see you, Michelle, but they wanted to go <laughs> to Sturgis rather than to visit a fine, fine human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: They were yeah, mistaken about the destination. It. The destination was in Custer. It was not in Sturgis. <laughs>
3: exactly,
4: exactly, right. Exactly right.
0: I keep, pop, I keep popping up your ties, Michelle, but, you know, oh,
4: Monday. Thank you Monday, for that. But I've, I, I've, got a, I've got a couple of confessions to make. I have been unfaithful. I have to, um, gone and um, got this young thing, um, which was fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're what, you're sure? remarrying Shirley?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I've done that. No, no. I, I, I met up with a couple of mates and um, went for a ride yesterday, and we ended up at a Harley Davidson dealership. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I had to try a Pan American that they had oh. there. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it claws the air um, for some reason. The front wheels sort of won't go down all the time when you hit about <laughs> six grand. <laughs> but but um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a damn good effort for a, a, a road bike with some pretense to go off road. I've got to Have say.
0: You it yet? Did you buy that?
4: <laughs> what have you been, Major? No, um, uh, no, I haven't, um, yet. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I was a little unfaithful to my old, uh, my old girl, my old GS. Um, but when I got back on it, it feels still, still felt good, you know. Um, and the other thing I've done is I've done another bad thing. This is confession time. I bought another bike.
0: I bought a. <laughs> Shirley's just finding I, out.
6: <laughs>
4: uh, it. just, we would
6: have heard a smack if she was just. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: this, is, this is a stealth bomber. I'm going to call it the stealth bomber. It's an ex army um, XT600 Yamaha E. So, electric start, and it's got a big tank on and it. it's all camo uh, green. It's got these switches on it which turn the lights off, and you've got a little beam of light that comes out. Um, uh, sort of directed right down at the ground um, and um, yeah it's a, it's a thing and a half it goes alright too I'd say
0: Before we talk too much about this new bike which I, I'm curious about, let's bring in Grant Johnson from British Columbia, Grant, hello
6: Hello there everybody how's everybody going, doing these days we're doing okay kind of bored actually, we've been spending lots of time on the computers and just getting things organized in the new hogs but Things are moving along nicely. We just wish the forest fires would abate. while we needed some rain here. Mm. The forest fire situation. The smoke is being bad everywhere, all over BC. But there's supposed to be some rain, but who knows when? We shall hope.
0: Last time we talked, you you were going out on a trip. I think you were you were heading off with a buddy to get, to go ride some trails. Did that happen?
6: Yeah. Oh yeah. We got out. We got some riding done. Had a good time. Um, unfortunately, he's got a damaged shoulder, which after several days of off-road riding, shoulder now worse, but hey, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we had a good ride. that's what counted. Oh that's good. It's that's... good to get out and do it. I don't get enough riding unfortunately, but I'm working on that.
0: Well, I, I want I can't help but go back to this bike that Brian has bought the, this bike Ooh. does the e on the end of this Brian does, does that designate that it's military? No,
4: it, that indicates that it's electric start. You remember, the big six hundred thumpers were um, notorious for starting uh, when they were hot and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, Yamaha put an electric leg on the six hundred um, uh, motor, and it makes it so much easier. And it's a little lower than the, the big TTs, which were the desert, um, the Dakar runners. Um, so it suits. And I took it for a bit of a bit of a. A bimble, as uh, Sam would say, through um, some of the fire trails and all the rest of it up here, and it, it went along nicely. I could ride that thing for quite a while, and on the on the highway, it'll sit on 120k an hour if you want it to. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I was quite impressed with the old thing. only done 26,000 kilometres, wow, but what's... it's still got all its army kit on
0: it. You mean since you bought it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I bought it off a of bloke, and um, it's um, – I, I decided to take for a run. Then I decided to check the oil, and the oil's as black as a dog's guts. So I'm just waiting for a um, uh, an oil filter to arrive to change the oil before I give it a real good thrashing. But um, What year is it? It's a 1991. Oh, great. So it's yeah. an old one, but uh, it's in really good condition, really good. And That's with amazing. being part army, you know, they'd service them with an inch of, a of their life um, in their formative years. So, yeah, I'm quite impressed with it. And did you buy it right from the military? No, 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 no. I'm the third owner. Um, Yeah, third owner after the army. Um, But the guy—I know the guy that had it. He—he probably rode it for 200 kilometers over two years, and um, I've. I've cleaned it up. I've been up in the shed mucking around with it. Shirley comes up there and just shakes her head every now and then. And it's <laughs> clean. It's cleaned up okay.
0: <laughs> How many um, more spaces do you have in your shed? Because you've got I don't know forty uh, right. bikes or something.
4: Uh, no, I've only got a dozen. But oh, um, <laughs> but uh, I had a look at my um, uh, R90s the other day. The BMW R90s. It's being rebuilt from the ground up. And I'm just waiting for a couple of studs um, for the engine. And um, that should be here in late September. So I'm really looking forward to that. And the guy that's got it said, oh, This is so good. Don't ride it. Don't ride it. It's like, not the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> <I> don't ride <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I know how many bikes he's got now because we had to do our census yesterday oh, and he had to count them to put them on the census.
4: <laughs> that's, that's a true story. It was census night last night. It says, how many vehicles do you have? <laughs> Shirley's, Shirley's got the fingers out. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs>
0: get and toes, in the sounds <laughs> Your census asks how many vehicles you have? Wow. That's- yeah.
3: And, and um, religion and money and where you lived six years ago and where you live now, usual stuff. And uh, talking about being old, I think someone mentioned something about being old with your friend's shoulder, Grant. Mm -hmm. One of the things we had to put down was medical conditions and the first one was arthritis tick.
6: Yeah. (laughs) They never give you enough space for that either, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Not
1: for big enough tick.
4: True, mate, True. No, no, it's been good, but so but I've been out doing some rides, um, looking at different countryside for a um, a group ride I'm trying to organise, COVID willing, that um, we're going to try
0: and do. And so uh,
3: big, um, the big Walter Ball ride's been cancelled again this year because
0: of COVID. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's sad. Yeah, that's too bad. How about you, Sam? Have you managed to get out for much riding?
1: I have. Oh, very nice. I, I, am, I am smiling big time. I don't know if you remember, but I damaged my foot and um, it it, um, it got pretty badly swollen, um, ended up looking like a, a purple and red haggis that um, was dangling on the end of my foot. So it was quite entertaining to um, see what it was going to turn up, what color it was going to turn up next. But um, it was a whole month before I could get a motorcycle boot back on. But as soon as I could, guess what I was doing 10 minutes later? Yep. Straight down the stairs on the bike gone. So no, it's been really nice. I spent quite a lot of time bimbling around the back of lanes in um in, in Devon. And it's it's been really nice. Really nice to be back on.
0: Well, that's great. That is really good. Well, we've got a listener question here. This is um, well. We've got a few questions we're gonna, we're going to cover, and maybe I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about the whole thing first. We're going to talk about uh, road hazards that we've seen in the world. Um, we're going to talk about um, do you carry a gun, which one do you carry, and where you're you're stowing it. And um, then the first one is this listener question that um that that deals with the following. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna paraphrase some of it here. He says I was re- recently listening to an older uh, AR raw podcast episode 33 and grant was saying how back on his first trip how they had no information uh, on how to get to country to country obviously through the internet and he heard a couple other guests say on Adventure Rider Radio that back in the day, um, they just jumped on the bike and left without any information. And and what he's getting at here is he's wondering, is it possible today, with all the information from the internet, to have that style of adventure like back in the day? Or would that be considered irresponsible? Because we talk a lot about that, don't we? We talk about the fact that technology's there. I mean, I can remember, um, I kind of think it was Shirley who had mentioned about saying something this a while back about it's kind of irresponsible not to message back to your family. I I think it was you Shirley that mentioned mentioned something about that. He says he admires the way um, people did it pre-internet and he, and he would love to set it on a trip with no more than a destination in mind. And just the, the idea of, of traveling that way really appeals to him. So what do you guys think? I mean, I mean, is it, um, can you just pretend the uh, internet and the new technology doesn't exist? Can you, load up a bike and pretend you're back in the day and and actually survive that way on a trip? I worry
6: about the word irresponsible. Irresponsible to who? To family, I can see, but to anybody else, no. And some people don't have family, so sure, just go. Or tell your family as we did. You'll hear from us when you hear from us. And that could be a month or two months, who knows? That's a decision you have to make. So I don't really
0: think irresponsible is a valid thing. Well, we've talked a little bit about that before. And the thing is, if you do have trouble on the road, you're going to become someone's responsibility, right? I mean, and, and, and maybe we're sort of going off a little bit here, but I mean, you will become someone's problem, whether it's your embassy or whether it's the local people. And, and maybe that's a little bit to what he's alluding to.
5: Perhaps,
6: but I, th- I think, The feeling I got was considered irresponsible to the world at large. The world at large really doesn't care, I could argue. Um, And if you're in a country and nobody from your home country knows you're there, the embassy doesn't know you're there and you run into trouble, yes, there's a problem. But you're going to end up at a hospital with your wallet, hopefully, some form of ID, hopefully, and then your embassy can sort you out. But I, I still struggle with the irresponsible. I mean, I,
3: I get, I get what he's saying, Grant. He's, you know, yeah. in this world of um, immediate connectivity, to go off um, as we did in the in the dim dark ages um, could be seen to be irresponsible. But you can always just stow that phone in the bottom of your pannier <clears throat> and if all hell breaks loose and you need to contact people, it's there. Yes. If you I if agree. you get um and, and the other part that could be perceived to be irresponsible is if you were traveling through an area that dropped in and out of danger, um, say, you know, countries in Africa where there's going to be a revolution or a, a coup, uh, could it be seen as irresponsible to head off into an area like that without knowing that you are heading into an area that could be dangerous? Uh,
4: yeah, again, uh, to who though? To who? Well I think we well, need to clarify that. That's yeah, my yeah, I, I agree. But, mate, I, I think we could do two things here. I, I think um, you know, using a GPS and all that sort of stuff really does you know, make things a lot easier. But if you want to have a, an adventure, you can, you can go without it. But um, I think we've lost the art of talking to people on the road. Um, with If you use your GPS and all those new fangled devices all the time, you know, you, you pull into a servo or you pull into a cafe and talk to the locals. You know, uh, and I, I, I wrote a, a article for a magazine which they wouldn't publish because um, it was a little gruesome. It was about the two Italians in, um, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, um, and I, uh, you know, Roberto Bardella um, was killed with um, his mate. They'd rode into uh, Rio. They were going to Christ the Redeemer, uh, following their GPS. Their GPS led them into a favela, which is controlled by um, the crime gangs. And um, they were wearing fluoro vests, which made them look like police officers. One of them was shot dead because of that. Now, I know for a fact that um, the the bike clubs in um, Brazil and places like that, they have um, little stickers they put in... um, uh, service station windows and all that sort of stuff, telling you, you know, um, come and meet us. And we'll help you. We'll, you know, um, we'll show you around and all that sort of stuff. They're the sort of things that you could do without the GP, without the GPS, without um, you know being too insular that you don't talk to people. And if that had happened, Roberto would be alive today, because they wouldn't have been led into these favelas. And uh, the other, the other person um, was uh, kidnapped and held by the, by the crime gang until they realised who he was and then they let him go. Um, And that was uh, Reno Polata was his name. But uh, I just thought thought that was just such a sad reflection on not talking to the locals and not understanding what's going on with the locals. And you can do it just by talking to them. remember, Shirley, we were in a village in um, uh, Pakistan, I think it was, and uh, we... We we left that village, we went to the next one, and we were talking to the locals, and they said, you've come from that village? They're dangerous people. You know, they're really dangerous people. How did you get through there? And you go to the oh. next village, and they'd say, oh, you've been through there? How the hell did you get through there? Just talking to people. So, you know, you can get real conflicting sorts of advice. But that's the that's the, the joy of traveling, isn't
6: it? Yep. I love pulling out a paper map, too. The reaction yeah. you get is always, where do you want to go? Can I help? Can I help? You know, people are so helpful and friendly when they see somebody trying to figure out where they're going. Uh, The amount of people you meet, the conversations you have, the the friends you make is just amazing by doing that simple thing as opposed to sitting on your bike hunched over a GPS. Nobody pays any attention to you.
4: Sure, Sure, I'll tell you a story about map reading in India.
3: I actually am not very good at map reading. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny that Shirley. The tone of voice you said that was like straight. Um,
3: it, it drives Brian crazy um, because I have to turn the map around. We actually saw a BMW jacket with a map pocket on the back for the pinion to read the map. And I said to Bron, what's the point of that? You can't lie on your side while you're riding so I can work (laughs) out which way we're going. But um, we pulled out a map in India, not so much to find out where we were going, but to find out where we were. And people came up and looked at the map because they'd never seen one before and they were absolutely intrigued. They had no idea where we were on the map either. But, you know, (laughs) we did meet meet some of the locals and we brought great joy into their life because they got to see a map.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. um, Shirley, Susan's got the same problem with maps. We were driving down a road somewhere. I can't remember where, Central America somewhere, And I'd looked at the map earlier and knew that we had a left turn coming up. So I said, so when's that left turn coming up? And Susan said, it's not a left turn, it's a right turn. (laughs) we, We went back and forth on this a little bit and I insisted it was a left turn. And we came to the left turn and I said, Susan, turn the map around. (laughs)
3: <laughs> See, I feel her pain.
0: Yes, I'm sure you do. I understand it completely. <laughs> but but this, is, the maps, our old technology, the, this question is all about... Is it possible to to bury, and I hate to drag you back to the point here, but the question <laughs> is, is it possible to bury that technology, that that GPS? I'm not sure what that that story that you said, Brian, really illustrated. Uh, to me, it illustrated that, boy, you don't want to trust your GPS. And I'm not, I don't think it's funny. Yeah. It's horrible. Uh, but I mean, to, but you hear these stories of GPS that lead people to drive into the ocean, et cetera. Um, that's not really where we're going with this uh, in, in particular, but it certainly gives you a, a, a thought to get rid of your, your technology. But the thing is, does it make sense um, to, to try and, and just sort of dump the technology and travel the old way? Why not? Why I not?
1: I think it's yeah. absolutely possible to do it. And I think all of the available massive of, of information is there to help, not to create um, boundaries or to stifle um, the random aspects of travel. And I think, yeah, you know, have a look and see at the stuff, but you don't have to head out and use it. Um, when we ride, we have a rough idea of where we're going. Um, we always have good maps um, where we can get them. And the GPS that we we carry, tends to get us in and out of the cities and that's about it and the rest of the time we're just taking the the journey as it comes and and it's the random that is is where the adventure comes from and now I mean there's so much of a massive information you've got to spend hours wading through to find out what's relevant and what's scaremongering and and all of the rest of it and I tell you what I keep coming across people who feel inadequate because they haven't dotted all of the eyes in their preparation and they feel that they're not ready to go yet because they haven't mastered everything I think yeah my knowledge is great but it's there for you to use or otherwise and if you feel comfortable heading out without your head plugged into technology um great go for it i mean the reality is that a lot of it hasn't changed in in the last let's say, 25 years. 25 years ago, you still had, if you could, to find out about visas in advance, you you would be logical trying to find out about weather patterns because, hey, who wants to be riding through the monsoon season if you have an alternative choice? You'd be looking for maps, you'd be finding out whether there were carnage passage possibilities and all of that sort of stuff. What medical vaccination certificates were you going to need to get into countries? The difference was, 25 years ago, a lot of that information was available in guidebooks such as Lonely Planet. I mean, now, I mean, you pick up a Lonely Planet now and um, it's pretty much aimed at um, gap year travellers so that you just don't have Mm. the same um, depth of information. My attitude towards this sort of preparation, using the internet to do research is that it helps me with my budget and it helps me not to miss the things that are absolutely brilliant to see. But the point is, if I'm in a country and I've done the preparation and i had a good look at things, when I'm there, it's up to me whether I take advantage of it or not. And half the time, I don't because we're just enjoying the random we're enjoying the left turns and the right turns and the wrong directions that people give you because actually that's where a lot of the adventure comes from so i would say yeah do um the only time you would be considered to be particularly irresponsible i think was as shirley said going into countries where um there is a risk of war and i think that that's irresponsible if you can have found that information out in advance because if you get into trouble somebody else is perhaps going to have to put their life on the line to try and get you out.
0: You know, what I was thinking with this is that there are some things that that are unavoidable. Like, for instance, this this is just an example. In most places, like certainly North America, if you want to make a phone call now, finding a phone booth in most places is very, very difficult. And finding a phone book, well, is, is almost impossible. That was the method many years ago. You just grab a phone book, you, you know, at a phone booth and you go through and look for a number. So there's some things you're going to be forced to use technology. You're going to be forced to go to the internet or, you, or apply online for a visa or things like that. You're going to be forced to do some of the things. It's not like you can totally turn back the clock. So, so part of the question is, can, can you really travel like you did, like Sam, you did when you did your round the world trip that anybody did uh, when the, the first trip from years ago. And I, I don't think you'll ever get it the same. Everything's changed. When you arrive to a border crossing, for instance, what would have had no contact before may very well and likely does have internet there and, and they can get on the computer and they can check things. So there's some stuff. And I, and I, I think Shirley's idea is, is perfect. you know, you can take your phone with you and bury it in your saddlebag. That to me is being responsible to even even just to yourself, it, bury it you know, in your saddlebag and, and, and bring it out when you have to use it or when you might require it. Michelle, where, where do you sit on this?
2: Yeah, you know, I felt very similarly to what everybody else has been saying that, yes, I think, you know, you can choose to go without a GPS, without a phone, um, stay off of social media, not blog, um, not have hotel reservations, not do research. You can really go a long way towards um, being insular and not really engaging in technology. But I I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's completely possible to go around the world without using some form of technology anymore. I really feel like the internet has become not just um, something that we use as a tool, but oftentimes a lot of governments are using them as a required way of uh, completing forms for applying for visas. There's there's just so many systems in place now, especially when you're traveling internationally, that I think travelers are more and more being forced to use the internet. And so, whether or not you actually carry a laptop, you carry a phone, or you find some sort of an internet cafe to do that work, that you know that's kind of a moot point. But I feel like the world is is sort of shifting and it becomes more difficult to actually accomplish everything you need to do with paperwork, with visas, with carnets, with um, payments, transfers, booking flights, booking ferries, things like that. A lot of those now are registered on apps, on phones and more and more the business world is really shifting toward that. So I think it becomes a little more difficult to avoid it. Um, Something now with, with the age of COVID, um, contact tracing may be something that's required in certain countries. And again, there's an app that you have to have on your phone, depending where you're traveling. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how that's going to evolve, but I think we're, we're steadily moving in that direction. So certainly you can do some traveling, uh, in your own country, of course, but I think even internationally with pretty limited internet access or, or required, um, internet usage, But I I think the world is really shifting that way. So just be aware that you're going to need to um, try and figure that out as you're required to do certain things to cross a border. There's a lot of government
3: departments now that if you can ever find their phone number, you're a better detective than (laughs) two-thirds of the detectives (laughs) in the world because they don't want you to ring them. They want you to go online and make your inquiries and fill in your forms online.
4: Yeah, and I I had in my notes um, COVID too. um, That's – we were watching the news last night and people sitting in a cafe in Rome. uh, Paris. Paris, No, it was Rome where they were were actually going up and asking them to show the – uh, yeah, you're right, Paris, but I'm sure Rome is doing the same thing. Uh, the, your QR code that you've been vaccinated and all the rest of it, otherwise you get booted out. That's going to be the, the world for a little while now. Uh, but my my point is that you, you can mix and match. You can do your research, as Sam said, but um, you could still have that little bit of adventure by just, you know, okay, I'll take that road and see where it ends up and go and talk to people. I think going back to his uh,
6: part of his original question, He said, I would love to set out on a trip with no more than a destination in mind, or just the idea that I want to travel North and South America on on my bike. I think disregarding COVID, let's just pretend COVID doesn't exist. Yes, of course you can do that. You can go, you will figure it out, you'll get to a border, they'll say you need this and this and this, and they will take your money from you and fill out the forms. And in North and South America, I think that is absolutely completely doable. You don't need a phone or internet connection at all okay now having said that today we have covid and that changes mm. everything i mean yeah. lots of countries are the borders are closed you know peru is talking about opening the border to ecuador for instance we've got an ecuador travelers meeting coming up next month they're hoping that the border to peru and colombia will open up well so far it hasn't so you're not yeah. getting through yeah. so these sort of things going forward and possibility and probability, I think, of uh, vaccine passports, et cetera, QR codes, whatever. Yes. But disregarding that, sure. His idea is is 100%. There's no reason why he couldn't do that. Now, if you wanted to go to Russia and the stands and stuff, you need to get a visa in advance. You need a Carnet. So, all that stuff is done online. That's a little different. So, it depends a lot on where you're going and what your comfort level is with Just going versus having some semblance of preparation for what's going to come up around the next corner. Everybody has a different attitude on that. And I think that's something you have to work out for yourself.
1: I got in touch with the Ethiopian and the Kenyan embassies and asked them if I could turn up at the embassy and get an application form for a visa. They both told me yes. There you go.
6: So... I think that's still the case in a lot of places. I mean, we have to remember that not everybody is internet connected and not everybody has all the latest fancy gadgets. A lot of people are from the local country or the country over and they're passing through with their crappy old truck or whatever. Generally, the borders in these places, they'll figure it out. They have a way.
1: And one of the key things about traveling um, the way, you know, let's say 25 years ago for the sake of argument, was you need an awful lot more time. Because yeah. it would take you longer to sort these things out and you would be asking your way around. And yes, telephone directories were um, a, a tremendous help. But a lot of the information um, comes, came from other travelers coming towards you. And you'd say to them, well, you know, um, where's the, the Tanzanian embassy in Nairobi? And they'd say, oh, well, it's on such and such a street and you can catch X number bus or ride your bike and there's a safe place to park it around the corner and that sort of thing. Um, if you were lucky because you met the right person. But other than that, you'd get to the city and you'd ask around until you found the right place. Um, you just yeah. needed the extra time. Um, yeah. I'm
6: reminded of a week and a half in Cairo trying to figure out how to get uh, permission to go south. Mm-hmm. A, a week and a half. Chasing around. We came up with the if you get one thing done in a whole day, you've
1: done well. Yep. Oh, I never forgot going into the, the Sudanese embassy in, in, uh, in Cairo um, and walking past people who'd been queuing there every day for six weeks to try and get a visa to get into, um, in, into the Sudan. And, yeah. um, I, I walked out with mine that day um, just by sheer absolute fluke, and I didn't dare look anybody in the eye as I walked out.
6: <laughs> yes, we had the same experience going to Cairo from Libya because they had a long, long, long lineup and, and the guys let us in really early. It's a, a bit of a story there, but I covered that before. But uh, I got into the, one of the buildings and they, have, they actually had a computer. This was 1990, let me think, 97. 1997, they had a computer, but they had one, and they had hundreds of trucks lined up. And part of the job was the computer would print out a piece of paper. That piece of paper would get matched to a license plate, and the license plate and paper would be sat on the floor. There was like 50 of these piles in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be here forever. But somebody looked at me and says, oh, you're a visitor. Come to the head of the line. Mm. And he just led me right to the front of the line and took my paper and sorted it all out right away. Mm-hmm. But all those poor truck drivers,
0: they're still there. I wonder how much that happens now. Because I mean, a lot more people traveling, uh, particularly by motorcycle. I, I wonder if that still happens now.
6: At, at the stranger borders, the less traveled borders by travelers, I think you probably still get some deference or some help or some, oh, welcome to my country, as opposed to these truck drivers who are trying to smuggle stuff in type of attitude there's quite a difference
0: it's one thing with motorcycles you you, you look vulnerable don't you so i mean yeah, you know you're people, not smuggling much are you yeah that's that's right hey you know one of the other <laughs> things I, I just got to thinking about um that you you may miss out on like because obviously what we're saying here is that you can't have the exact same thing to, that that people did 25 years ago if, if we just use that arbitrary number that sam chose you can't have that exact same experience obviously because some things are changed like the phone book for instance but you can have something similar to it. You can, you can have some, a similar experience that's sort of exploratory. But one of the other things I was thinking that you might be missing out on is communication from other travelers. 25 years ago, the communication from other travelers would come via the methods that you used then. Nowadays, they're going to be online and without being online and being tapped into that and connected somehow then you i'm not saying you you can't do it but uh, but you are certainly missing out in mainstream communication that has always been there in the past so you're you're almost like um you're almost like burying your head in the sand a bit there aren't you
1: I don't know I mean you can uh, you can go for months quite happily in several parts of the world and just not see any other travelers at all yes but you pick up um with you know conversation as you're traveling um with a, you, on the people that you do meet well actually this is quite a good place to stay lots of people go and stay there as they're coming from this country going to that country you know that sort of thing and you get these crossroads and those crossroads still exist so you can just you know plan those into your route and then you go and plan to stay there for a week until you pick brains and swap stories and um that's done face to face that's not done with people's faces buried in their screens
6: And there's so many more people traveling today than were when Susan and I first started out that you can't help but running into people all the time. I mean, we did Central America, Europe, and Africa, and finally got to South America before we met one other traveler on a motorcycle. Wow. One.
2: Wow.
6: Wow. That, well, was that was probably
1: because um, Susan was guiding you onto the wrong roads all the time. <laughs> 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 oh, I'll tell you, you said yeah. that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but when I see you guys next you time, when right. I get a clip around the ear from Susan, yeah. I'll know why.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that why your ear looks like that, Sam? It's all chewed up at the bottom?
1: Oh, the, the, Yeah, there's one cauliflower ear and it's always the one that's on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs>
6: So I think yeah. it's a, it's a lot easier today, generally, just in person and as well as online. So if you want to know what's going on somewhere, somewhere ahead, what's coming the other direction, whatever, it's easy to find. It used to be much, much harder. I mean, we had zero information for our entire trip. So it's it's quite different. Whether it's better or not, I think you're more informed. Um, I know we missed things that we would have liked to have seen that we just didn't even know they existed. Yeah, I too. have no idea. On the other hand, we had a full schedule. We saw a lot of stuff. We met a lot of people. We had a wonderful time. We can always go back, and we'd probably still be riding. That's a good thing. We would still have been riding if we'd seen all the places that
1: we really wanted to see. I don't remember ever wasting a day.
6: Exactly. Mm, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Every day was filled with good stuff. You know, even times when I was sick as a dog, I was, I was resting, I was relaxing, I was reading a book or something. I didn't feel good, but hey, that's okay. I can use a rest.
4: And that's fine. That's true, that's very true.
3: I just wonder with this retro travel, whether he would like to travel on a bike of similar comfort and reliability. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mean As like a, a bike from 25 years ago or, or longer or? no 25
3: 30 years ago yeah mm-hmm.
0: why well, not got
4: to tate Simon some, or something like that no.
6: i i yeah. wouldn't go around the world on an old Triumph. couldn't pay <laughs>
4: <you>.
6: <laughs> but our 35 year old bmw gave us no trouble on the trip it was great
3: yeah i think AGS is um Maybe getting to the stage where it could be starting to give trouble because it's getting a bit long in the tooth.
0: <laughs> well, uh, another another area where you might not be able to to avoid it is payments. You could have traveled with cash before, but all the advice now is credit cards. I think Grant, I don't know how many times I heard you say, you know, two or three credit cards that you should have with you all the time.
6: That's the- but even then, even then, Jim, we had an American Express credit card and a Mastercard and a Visa card, and we also used. Um, American Express traveler's Checks. I mean, that was how we got our yeah. money. Traveler's yeah. Checks, period. There was no other way. Yeah. That was
0: it. Yeah, I don't think you'd be using that now. Though. I mean, does, that, does anyone use traveler's no. Checks now? I don't I think you can get them anymore. No. no don't
1: yeah. Such you, a you, you mean I'm too late to cash mine in? <laughs> oh, <laughs> <What? Yeah. laughs> If that
0: was your retirement, Sam, you might have messed up.
1: God, <laughs> dear. <laughs> yeah.
6: But that it was is. the only way we could do it. We'd go into an American Express office and pick up our mail and get our traveler's check sorted out, get the next batch ready. That was how we did it.
0: Any other thoughts with this, Michelle?
2: Um, No, I guess, guess, you know, it really comes down to personal preference in a lot of ways. I, I think we've, talked about a lot of ways that you could travel and really minimize the technology that you have exposure to. And as long as you're okay with taking more time, taking the slow road, you know, um, not booking things in advance and and just kind of exploring as you go, as everyone has pointed out, you're going to meet other travelers along the way. You can travel with paper maps, you can get resources and and tips and information as you go. And it, it can be done. But just, you know, for some people, it may be frustrating. There may be longer waits. There may be, you know, things that you miss because you weren't, you know, really tapped into things and it may be more difficult to stay in touch or to manage your affairs and do what I call administrative work on the road. Um, but yeah, as long as you're okay with that and, and, and that's, you know, how you want to travel, just that's, that's great. I think that you, you, um, um you can make a good adventure out of it. And you might actually find yourself having even more adventure <laughs> because of that.
0: Uh, and it does matter, you know, you think about it, if you were, um, if you're riding a horse, uh, you know, any length of any distance, let's just say, and you're riding a horse today, it could be frustrating because you see all the vehicles go by and you realize how long it's taking and how much work this horse is. But of course, back in the day, everybody was riding by horse. So it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. So what I'm trying to get at here is is saying that you yeah you have to be prepared, don't you? You have to be prepared for the fact that you're going to be kind of in the dark while everyone else is sort of speeding along to the uh, well to the the pace of the the new world. Let me just go back. I, I want to read these these just these two lines from this email again. The, the one is. I am wondering, is it possible today with all the information from the internet and social media, et cetera, to have that style of adventure, or would that be considered irresponsible? So, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think, Grant, you're going to the irresponsible portion uh, right away. Is this question all about being irresponsible or is this about enjoying that way of travel? Because the next line that I want to read here is, I admire those who did it that way free internet and would love to set out on a trip with no more than a destination in mind, but I want to travel North and South America on my bike. So it's a bit of a confused question there, isn't it? And I wanted to sort of cover them both off like irresponsible. We've talked about that. You're maybe irresponsible. I mean, I think that's something you'd almost have to discuss with your family. Wouldn't you for for about the responsibility thing?
6: Yeah, I think that's between you and your family and past that. Yes, you can go into someplace stupid, like search and rescue, crews will tell you all the time. If you don't tell people where you're going and what you're doing and what your planned uh, arrival date is and when you're expecting to be out, that's irresponsible and puts all kinds of people at risk to save your ass. Mm-hmm. So that can be irresponsible. But past that, irresponsible, no. I mean, it's your choice. It's your life. So long as you're not putting somebody else at risk. You know, I always think that You have all kinds of freedom, you can do whatever you like so long as you do not impact someone else.
2: Yep, right.
6: Period. That's Mm
1: -hmm. it, Brian. Shirley, here's a question for you. Um, last time I was in Australia, which was quite a long time ago, but heading into the outback, whenever I was going through a smaller town, um, I would visit the local shop or um, the petrol station or the pub, and I'd it was. Tradition, you just did it. Um, you mentioned where you were going next and um, the route you're planning to take, and roughly how long you thought it was going to take you. And you just automatically did it. And if um, you know people didn't hear from you, then um, then they knew where to come looking for you. Does that still happen now, or is it all done online?
3: Well, the tr- trouble with Australia, Sam, is you can be somewhere and not have any internet connection. <laughs> mm. So, um, there's sat phones, but yes, people like if we were doing, yeah. it when we did the Simpson desert,
5: you
4: have
3: to you check in at, um, Mount Dare station before you hit one end of it. And
4: they actually record uh, who's going across the desert yeah. and, um, you're supposed to check in with when you, and you do, you go to the police station at Birdsville to let them know that you, you made it through and, um,
3: or the police will see your bike outside the, the
4: pub. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll come and see you. Yeah. You're the, you're the people that were traveling across, you know, um, Um they uh,
0: I was gonna say forgot what I was gonna say
5: then. Damn.
0: You know that's one of those that's a symptom of um I can't remember thanks.
6: Um Um, 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 something. I can't remember what. (laughs)
3: That's why we don't live in a two-story
1: house. You you must be on bike intake overload, Brian, that's what it is. Yeah,
3: just On a serious note, um, when you're going onto areas in the outback in Australia, it is um, very foolhardy not to let people know. When we were about to go across the Simpson Desert, there was a guy on a bike who had one litre of water, uh, no spare fuel, no sat phone, uh, no ePerb, um, and and he came up to us and wanted to know if we were just going straight across the desert because the ranger had told him he shouldn't go off on his own, and he thought the ranger was being unreasonable.
4: Yeah, that's that's the story I was going to tell. We were at a, at a, um, a little place where all the campers stay before you cross the Simpson Desert, and the ranger comes in and checks on everybody and makes sure that, you know, you've got all the right gear, you're right, yeah, okay, you're going across, oh, you two cars are going across together, that's good, and he came across this guy on a bike this older bloke, and he was ill-equipped to uh, go across the Simpson Desert. If he'd got stuck for one day or got bogged three or four times, he was out of fuel, he was in the middle of nowhere. And uh, that, to me, is very irresponsible.
0: Because it's other people that are going to have to look for you and rescue you ultimately. Mm -hmm. or, or And
6: and in doing so, put themselves at risk. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly
5: right.
0: Well, I guess that sort of covers it. I mean, there's, you know, it's it's possible to get something close to it. Obviously, it's not going to be the same. Irresponsible, that's with your family that we talked about. And some things you can't hide away from when it comes to technology. The the only thing is, is, and I think somebody already mentioned already, is time, right? I mean, you need more time to travel that way.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we took uh, nine months to get from the U.S. to uh, Panama. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: That's pretty slow by most standards. But we had a wonderful, wonderful trip. We enjoyed every minute of it. So as long as you've got the time and you are flexible and you are open to whatever, I think you can do very well by having a minimally technology impacted trip. And I think everybody today can certainly realize, yeah, you can go out there and you can not touch your cell phone for a month. But if you need it, you got it. Mm -hmm. And you can access the information and get it when you need it. And if you go with that attitude that it's my backup if, I, if I'm confused or I'm lost or I need to figure something out or whatever, I need to organize a ferry in advance because it's two weeks away. You've got your cell phone to do that. So that just makes it easier. Whereas before we would have had to find a telephone, find the right number, maybe mail a letter and a check or something ridiculous. It was much more difficult. Now you can do the same thing quite easily, but you don't have to use it all the time, every day. I mean, I get tired of the amount of just thinking about the amount of time that some people spend in the internet cafe or on their laptop at night, two or three hours every night. It's just like, what kind of a trip are you having? I don't understand it.
1: Missing so, so yeah. much.
6: Oh, they're yeah. missing so much, so much.
1: And I think Michelle's absolutely right. With some, um, there are a lot of situations where you just can't avoid technology now because it's just the way things are done. I I did a post on Facebook about um, getting my bike from um, Singapore into um, India. And it took six weeks to get the bike out of the harbour. And an Indian chap saw this and he commented, "Um, well, yeah, um, that was really interesting to me. I'd sort of heard about this sort of thing happening in my country, um, but you're not going to get quite so much of a problem now because it's computerised. Whereas back in those days, it was... Big red leather-bound ledgers that were dog-eared and ink-stained, and but with beautiful writing inside. Just watching some of the clerks making the entries in these things—it was like watching art being created, and all of that sort of stuff. And I loved it. Um, but hey, if I didn't have to go around for six weeks, but then again, how many adventures would I miss out on if I didn't have to be in the one place? Um, yeah, mm, it's a toss-up, isn't it? I had the time mostly. <laughs> and
3: you need lots of patience
1: yeah. oh, yes. mm. strong yeah. streak of it
0: especially if, you, if you're trying to do that now is that what you're referring to Shirley yeah, yeah.
3: I would think so because you're going to you know, as Grant said you can get to the border and, and do the paperwork when you're there but if you haven't got something that you need to go back to the capital city to get organised you're just going to have to suck it up and go back because yeah. you didn't know what had to be done
4: yeah, and I think I, mm-hmm. I think Michelle hit it on the head too. Yeah, I, I was uh, reading something the other day about a guy in um, California that was just going to head uh, head east and just wing it. Uh, you can do it in your own country fairly easily, and maybe that's a good start to try it out. And you know? just don't take, don't touch your phone, don't go on the internet, and just pull into a little one horse town and find a bed for the night. It is a great way to travel. I've got to say, when you do that in your own country, I, I love doing that.
0: Yeah, that's what a you good reckon, point,
2: Michelle. The best. very much. That, that's some of my favorite way to travel is just to go and see, you know, what the water looks like when you get up that morning, and see where the wind takes you, where the road takes you, and as Sam has has so eloquently said, you know, find some side road and, and see where that takes you and explore. Yeah you know, some new part of the world. So I, I totally agree, but I also am a bit of a realist in that, you know, crossing borders, the world is changing and so much of the, you know, immigration and customs systems are becoming electronic. And so that portion of it, I'm afraid, you know, is, is going to force people to become more electronic savvy. Mm Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's take a break. Just a quick little break here. And then we're going to come back and we're going to jump right into guns. This episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, freshtracks.co.uk. Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s and they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, build uh, communication skills through team building exercises. They work with a lot of large companies already like Yahoo, uh, Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief. Their website is freshtracks.co.uk. So if you got a company, have a look at what they're what they're doing and, and what they're helping companies with. Like I say, especially nowadays when things are changing, people working from home, etc. Freshtracks.co.uk. Now into our part two, we're gonna kick this off with personal you know this is a question that, that comes up a lot and grant i'm sure you hear this all the time at horizons unlimited meets people asking about carrying weapons and it can be for for various reasons personal protection maybe they're they're going into an area where there's a lot of wilderness and thinking about animals i think how you react to this this question do you carry a gun when you're on a motorcycle trip how you react to that question probably has everything to do with where you were brought up, how you were brought up as far as around firearms, maybe from the area that you live in. I, I think it's a valid question because people always ask it. And we always say, like, there's no stupid question, right? Only the question that you didn't ask. So, um, Sam, what are you packing?
1: <laughs> a smile and a handshake. <laughs> um. Do you know, I think you wouldn't get across very many borders if you were carrying a gun. And for most people, as I understand it, it's a defensive thing. So you're carrying a gun because you want to be able to defend yourself. But When you're travelling, if you portray a defensiveness, people pick up on that, and that can be a negative. But it's also a suspicion of others' attitude thing. If you're carrying a gun, then it means that you're afraid of what others are going to do to you. And that comes across in your, your mental attitude, um, your body language, and it can potentially form a barrier between you and others. And for the sake of maybe one in a thousand being a tiny bit dodgy, you might be reacting the wrong way to 80% of the people. And I think that'd be sad. I've never come across anybody carrying a gun. I've read about it from trips. People were doing 50 years ago. I mean, Robert Fulton Jones, for example, he carried a gun, didn't he? But I've never met anybody since anywhere carrying a gun. And if you tried to cross a border in many places and you were carrying a gun, uh, well, you run the risk of getting yourself thrown in jail. It's mm-hmm. – well, it's why, – why bother? It's extra weight, isn't it? Yeah, the, Fulton that's,
6: never did use his gun either.
0: No. Huh? And I've read about other people who've taken guns as well on different kinds of adventures and uh, not not once have I read anything about them actually using it. It always ends up creating problems for them and then it ends up disappearing mm-hmm. partway through the trip.
1: Birgit and I were presenting a book signing at the Timonium Motorcycle Show in Maryland um, a few years back and there was um, a booth just nearby us and it was selling um, adapted side panels for motorcycles. And these were um, fitted out so that you could pop a um, a handgun down inside them um, with a quick release lid so that as you were riding along, um, if somebody attacked you, then you could just press a button on the top of this and reach down and grab your gun. But um, if it's not <laughs> easy to get hold of, <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to, to
4: rip money off
5: people.
1: <laughs> you're traveling in Bolivia or wherever and you're, you're waving a your gun around, you're more likely to find that somebody's going to be trigger happy and pop you before you've got a chance to actually use the thing. It's better just to open your throttle gently and leave.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Imagine firing the gun from the motorcycle. I mean, Brian, you, do you yeah, know right. what that's like as far as aim goes?
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I, 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 for my 12th birthday, I was given a gun. I've used guns all my career um, in, in the police force, but you know, I used uh, guns on the farm to um, get rid of vermin, uh, go shooting for foxes to raise money to buy a motorbike, Um uh, but uh, professionally, you use a gun all. Uh, I use a gun all the time, but I just don't see. Married, not used. Well, you well, used. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I use them a bit going through doors, but uh, the the point is, and violence gets violence, and, and yeah. uh, the the open handed. Um, attitude and, you know, you'd have to be quick draw McGraw to think that you could outgun somebody who really wants to hold you up. It's just uh, not feasible in my book. Um, but uh, I travelled with some Texans when we came through from Mexico who were all Texas coppers and in their enterprise bargaining agreement they have there because I was in the union as well, um, they have to carry a gun 24 hours a day on duty and off duty So here we are riding around the back blocks of Texas with these guys uh, packing heat all the time on their bikes. Some of them actually had uh, sidearms in a holster on their left hand and they'd learnt to shoot left-handed. They thought it was just a joke to be able to do that. And, yeah, good on them. You know, they were able to do that. But um, their aim wasn't too flash uh, (laughs) left-handed if you're a (laughs) right-hander. But, you know. Um, I just think it's a waste of space. As Sam said, it's a, it's a waste of um, weight that you can take. She'll be able to pack another bag on the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's shaking her
1: head. That was about to you, you just had one of those looks, didn't you, Brian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the,
3: the slap will come later. On the bike.
0: <laughs> but Sam, you, you said about um, the way it makes you feel. You know, and, and I, we talked sort of about this in the last episode, didn't we? We talked about not looking like a victim, right? Uh, having that look. And and so w- with uh, the thought of carrying something like a, a firearms may make you, you know, feel like that. Like you have to defend yourself, that you're sort of on edge. It may, it may change your demeanor. I, I know what happens uh, in the wilderness with wild animals. People with guns tend to have more run-ins. Um, from what I understand, now this, is, this is a very... Uh, Loose information that I've got, but um, that people with guns have t- tend to have more run-ins with with uh, large animals than people without guns. And it's probably because you're more likely to stand your ground. I mean, if you've got something, you'd use it, of course, right? And um, that may get you into trouble.
6: Knowing that you've got it makes you more aggressive and more likely yep. to stand up for yourself as opposed to, hmm, this could be dodgy. Maybe I'll get out of here. Right. Yep. Yeah, there's I'm, a I'm there's a different of points
1: from my list there, Grant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah I, 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 I there's so many. I mean, this has been something that's been raised. I've got a thread called "Guns, Knives, and Hand Grenades" on the hub.
2: Great <laughs> <laughs> right name.
6: Started in 2001. <laughs> when the discussion got crazy political, we shut it down. But since then, we've had machetes, axes, and pocket knives, etc., at borders. Carrying a pistol in Central America. Are knives allowed across borders? And on it goes. Mm-hmm. And you've got to watch where you get into political discussion because there are very, very different attitudes to carrying or not carrying in different countries in the world. Um, but I think an important thing that somebody said was there are few countries in which the average citizen is allowed to carry a gun. You know, Many countries allow ownership, but you can't carry a gun. And the few, uh, just a rough list from a few years ago, The U.S., Israel, Switzerland, Czech Republic, Brazil, and Cyprus, maybe a couple of others. That's not a lot of countries where you're allowed to carry a gun. Mm -hmm. And a carry permit in your home country is probably not good in somebody else's country. So you are immediately crossing a border with a weapon, which is illegal, to bring into the country. You're carrying it, which is illegal, and your risk of getting caught and tossed into jail, is way, way higher than having somebody actually try to kill you, whereas a gun light, it might have maybe have done you some good. But if you've got two or three guys standing there with guns pointing at you, you're not going to have time to pull your gun out and get shot. Like Brian said, you got to be quick to run McGraw, and even then you're still going to lose because there's several of them. Yeah, and I, I just
3: wonder if anyone's yeah. ever done any statistics on how many overland travelers have actually been held up at gunpoint. Would it happen it every day? Would it happen every yeah. week?
5: It's no,
6: so I think,
0: rare. I think that's a good question. I mean, it would be interesting if someone did statistics on it. So we'd know because there's a lot of anecdotal information out there and, and and there's the stories that circulate forever. Of course, when it happens, it's a horrible thing and everyone tends to repeat the story. But it'd be interesting to know exactly how how many yeah. times.
6: Yeah, I tend to get on the hub the, the firsthand account of it happening to somebody. And I can tell you, If there's 10 on the hub in over 20 years, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I've had it happen to
1: me. um, I've had it happen to me. People pointing guns at me. But I never felt as if I needed one to point back. Not once would it have helped. If anything, it would have caused me grief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh Sam, why does it always? Happen? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Shirley, you know my mother says that I have a strong streak of stupidity. I can <laughs> <all> time. <laughs>
0: a couple of episodes on Adventure Out Radio, we had a guy. I think his name is Richard Giorgio. He was he was on a trip. He's by himself, and he sees these cars blocking his way, and he's in a remote place, and, and there's guys standing around with guns. And so what he gets in his mind is his his plan of attack was to um, ride towards them. And if they started shooting to duck down behind the windscreen and crack the (laughs) throttle and aim for one of them so they would have to jump out of the way. (laughs) And he did. They did shoot at him. And and luckily they didn't hit him. They hit his pannier and and he rode through them and and actually made it. Um, But probably not a good approach. No. And if he'd had a gun, what
6: would he have done?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that yeah, was. A, forget it.
6: <laughs> that's what, that's I thought it was hilarious because shot it's
0: shot. like a Hollywood movie, isn't it? You know, yeah. to, to just crack the throttle and aim for them. They've got real bullets, <laughs> and yep. they're coming There's at Tiffany you.
6: There's a story about that, too. She was at a border crossing with a friend on the back. I forget where it was, but somewhere in the stands or something like that. And they were giving her a lot of hassle. And she said, yet It was Russia. That's right. I remember her saying, yet. And she smacked the guy's hand that tried to grab her bike, tro- drove away, just took off, and said to her friend on the back, We should both duck because they'll hit you first. <laughs>
3: <Wow>. <laughs>
6: they, apparently, they didn't shoot. Wow. So, is that
3: why you carry a pigeon, passenger?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, why We're did you think, Shirley?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was for company,
0: but. <laughs> <He's> so naive. <laughs> I was wrong.
2: just human share. Yeah. And uh,
5: navigation.
2: G- g- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
6: yes.
4: Oh. Mm, that's a question. No, I don't right. think so. <laughs> uh, just going back to what Grant said, you know, the number of times that people have been held up at gunpoint, compare that to the number of times you've been stopped and searched. Uh, oh, we've, yeah. we've been stopped and searched uh, just yeah. on the side of the road and uh, the, the army and the police do it all the time. And if they find a gun on you, well, yeah, you're going to be joining Sam in a clink somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to get into that position.
2: Um,
6: uh, One guy said, carrying a weapon makes you paranoid, jumpy, and aggressive. Well said. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know. I get the question a lot, actually, as an American, because I think, obviously, as is well known around the world, Americans um, are pretty adamant about exercising their rights to carry and own guns. Um, You know, I grew up in the Midwest where I grew up around guns and we use them for, um, as Brian said earlier, killing vermin. Um, for hunting, um, all sorts of utilitarian things. And so I've grown up around guns. I've been a gun owner. I have uh, a concealed weapons permit, all of that. But I think in terms of like a handgun as being something that I use around my own property to protect myself of anyone coming on my property. And I don't think of it usually as something that I would carry elsewhere and certainly not when I'm traveling. But having been to Mexico, I remember the first time that I was going in, a lot of my own friends and family asked if I was carrying a weapon into Mexico. And I think a lot of Americans have, you know, this, this preconception that Mexico is a dangerous place. And a lot of the people that have that idea haven't been there themselves. Or if they have, they've flown into like a resort town and flown home. They haven't traveled overland. So I've had people ask that, you know, really just with that being their perception that they needed to have a weapon to protect themselves. But I I remember it, it just never even crossed my mind that I was going to carry a weapon. And I I really feel like when I go anywhere, whether I'm traveling in my own country, especially overseas, I feel like the greatest weapon that I can bring with me is my own mind. And that's just paying attention being alert, um, using my head about when I'm out. I'm not out after dark. Um, I don't get intoxicated and stay, you know, around a group of strangers or go out to bars late. I really try to look out for myself and just use my wits and use my head. And I think that's the best way for me to stay safe. But, you know, because a couple of people were asking about whether or not I was carrying a gun into Mexico, I thought, I wonder if that's even legal. And I looked it up and, at one point and read somewhere, uh, carrying a gun into Mexico from the U.S. is punishable by five years in prison. Ooh. So I, I would rather not take one than ha- take a chance <laughs> of spending five years in a Mexican prison. But Oh,
5: yeah. That
6: was- yeah. That's just good. Right.
2: <laughs>
1: Michelle, yeah. you spoke for about five minutes then, and you, sit, you hit six nails firmly on the head.
2: Oh wow! Well, yay! <laughs> I didn't that? even know it. <laughs> yeah, you that was
1: absolutely spot on. Absolutely yeah. spot on. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, and
2: I, I
4: think that that perception of uh, Mexico and other countries—that's that's Hollywood stuff, really.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, and when you're travelling, as you know, it's it's not like that at all.
6: Mm-mm.
2: No, that's true. Yeah.
6: I've got another one, that that comment here that I think really um, addresses what's just been said. Um, The experience of an American friend of mine who carried a weapon around New Zealand, apart from being highly illegal, of course, in New Zealand. The new friend that he'd made almost turned on him when they found he was carrying, not because they'd taken a sudden dislike to him, but because he brought a weapon into their home. They considered it an enormous insult. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. something else to yep. think about is what is the attitude of the people you're going to meet towards you carrying a gun? Mm. Generally, in most of the world, it's not considered a good thing. Right.
0: We started this by talking about guns. And then then many times now I've heard weapons come up. Weapons covers a lot more than a firearm. Does anyone carry any sort of weapon, or, or consider something that they have with them that they would use as a weapon? I mean, I know there's all kinds of options—knives, pepper spray. Uh, I mean, I don't—I don't think anyone could go wrong with a grenade. That's easy to pack, you know, safe <laughs> until you pull the pin. <laughs> Very compact. Very compact. I mean, there's nothing but bonuses there.
2: I carry a pocket knife, but that's that's probably a, a habit and a tradition I learned from my granddad and from my dad. Um, but it's used for a tool. I mean, I don't think yeah. of it as a weapon.
1: No, yeah, I, I did the I'm,
4: same. A, I'm exactly the same. Michelle. my grandfather had some beautiful pocket knives, and I carry a knife for that reason. I think probably from for tradition, but you know, they they're great. They're a great tool. And now the Leatherman has taken over. In fact, an Indian somewhere has got one of my Leathermans on a lift uh, in, his, in his workshop.
6: <laughs> you know, I always carried a knife with a, like a three-inch blade plus a Swiss Army knife. And that was kind of, I wore that on my belt all the time. And I was never bothered with it at borders or anything anywhere. But if it had been a six-inch blade, that would be a whole different story. I know some places, if you've got a double-edged knife, for instance, uh, anything mm. that's like a throwing knife, forget it. You're, that's yeah. a weapon. You're going to jail.
0: Is the six-inch thing, is that sort of universal around the world, that that measurement? Because I, I, I know that as well, that people say, you know, the blade can't be any longer than six inches. But I mean, um, is it, could you count on that?
2: No. I would, I would say would that it could even inch. be smaller. Yeah, yeah. Three-inch,
6: I think you're safe. Larger than that, you're getting into into risky territory. Just because it looks more like a weapon, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, but uh, some Australian once said, now that's a
0: knife. (laughs) I've heard that. I actually do have one of those. I believe what he said was, that's not a knife. This is a knife. This is a knife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) So anyone else, any any sort of thing that you carry that that would be used or that that you think that, you know, you have, or at least you have in the back of your mind that you carry because you think at least I could use this? Hold your mouth. Mm-hmm. A smile. A whistle.
2: Yep. Whist- a,
6: whistle well, a whistle, yeah. whistle's good. Mostly just don't get in the situation in the first place because you know you're not carrying a weapon and therefore you are defenseless. So don't go to those stupid places. Don't be out at late at night and get into the bars and get all drunk and plastered and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't do stupid and yep. you won't have any trouble. And if you do get into trouble. It's okay. Give them the wallet. Give them the, uh, the muggers' wallet. Give them whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Just back slowly away, smile, here, take what you want. Ideally, throw it at their feet, and then you've got time to run.
1: And Grant, that's an interesting point there, because we're actually brought up in societies where we're taught that running away is not a good thing. Oh, in this case, it
6: is. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Too right.
6: They don't want to get into any more trouble than they have to. What they want is your money. Anything past that is more aggravation than it's worth. In a lot of places in the world, if they rob you, the police pay little attention because it happens all the time. But if they kill you, that brings down the wrath of the political police and the army. And, oh, my God, it, it's, it's press. bad, bad, bad. The press. The, uh, the country is really pissed off at you because all of a sudden this is na- international news and they're not going to get any more tourists. They don't want that kind of hassle. They just want a few bucks. Give it to yeah. them and leave.
1: Yeah. 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 Most people just want to make you welcome. And if you do get your fingers burnt, rare, rare chance of that as it is, um, well, that's an adventure. It really get, rarely is going to end in death. And it's going to give you a great story when you get home.
6: Oh yeah, if there's, if there's nobody ever tries to rob you, how can you have a trip? And you obviously didn't go anywhere, did you?
0: <laughs> so
6: you Got to have some stories. Just your own city.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that happens too. Okay, so yeah. how about um, how about if you're heading off into the wilderness somewhere where there's um, wild animals, and you and you would you feel you might need some protection, or would you feel any, any? would anyone take something if that was the case? Maybe a hand grenade. I know I'm pushing the hand grenade. The hand grenade. Well, it just seems so handy, doesn't it? I mean, it just fits in the palm of your hand. But
3: if you tuck it into your pannier and you go over a rough road and that little pin thingy comes out of you are in
0: serious bother. Yeah, well, that's why you have it in your pannier. I think it's safe then. I I don't know anything about hand grenades, but it seems
1: like Can can you imagine if you go to Chesty Luggage or somebody and you say, well, look, you know, I've had a bit of an accident with my pannier. (laughs) (laughs)
3: This is covered under warranty. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I mean, that comes back to to common sense though, doesn't it? Because, you know, I wild camped um, coming down through Africa and common sense said, well, um, wild animals don't like fire. So I always had a fire outside my tent and I had my alarm set so that it would go off every couple of hours and I would just had a little bit more wood on the fire. And yeah, there were um, animal tracks not far away from my tent, but they weren't close to my tent. So you don't need a gun.
6: I've had just various animals of unknown origin and size sniffing at my tent and literally bumping into the tent. Just be quiet, pay no attention, and they go away. They're just curious. What is this thing? This is in my path. This is my route I usually take to the water.
5: Mm -hmm. Um,
6: So make sure you don't place your tent on what looks like a nice trail into the woods and down to the water
4: because that's the animal path.
5: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, that's, that's true. And we, we, we were told, you know, you'd use those um, uh, uh, bear safes that they have in campgrounds throughout America, which we used. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you you put your food stuff and you get told to put your toothpaste in there too, because yeah. they love toothpaste to keep their teeth nice, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but isn't, I mean, you, you, you don't camp right next to it, you camp away from it.
3: But people also talk about bear spray, and isn't it legal in U.S. America and illegal
0: in Canada or vice versa. It's I think it's how it's labeled in in Canada. It's labeled as bear spray, but you're not allowed to have anything for personal protection for humans. And and I believe Michelle, uh, you can. And I think we talked and mentioned this one before. Um, do you, you're allowed to carry it for for personal protection, like to humans, for yes. in the U.S. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah, yeah. So I actually I I do own uh, mace or pepper spray. Um, for personal protection. So I have one in my car. I used to carry a small one on a keychain, um, and then I own pepper spray as well. So yeah, they're both legal in the U.S.
0: Yeah, but if somebody in Canada tries to hold you up and you have bear spray and you pull that out, they're going to stop you right there and say, hey, that's illegal. You cannot use that on me. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a problem.
6: Well, uh, and the tidbit to and move I, on th- that too is you can't take your bear spray from the U.S. across the border into Canada. You must mm-hmm. can buy it in Canada.
4: Yep. Yeah. that's that's right. Yeah, that's right. And and it's, and all that stuff's illegal here in in Australia. Wow.
3: Bear spray. You don't
4: have any bears. <laughs> no, not no, bears. We have got snakes. bears yeah. don't do be
3: much with snake. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's really sad about all of this? I'm sitting back here in Australia, where we would not think of carrying pepper spray or mace or a knife or a gun. And there are places in the world, sorry, Michelle, that you don't feel safe enough that you have to, you have to feel that you need to carry a gun or have mace in your car. I think that's, it's pretty sad, really. Yeah.
0: Well, I I don't know. That's, that's one point of view. I don't know if it's sad really though, because it depends on what, how you're brought up. That's why I said how you react to this, this, um, this question do you carry a gun on a motorcycle trip? It would depend on how you, you know, you're brought up. If you're brought up around weapons, I mean, even Brian, you know, he's used to using it for the practical uses that the weapon is used for. So, and I know what you're saying, uh, you're saying about, about fear. I'm not sure is it so much uh, if it's fear or if it's just because you can. I mean, Michelle, do you, do you really think that that your property is that dangerous that you would have to protect yourself or is it just that you can, so you do?
2: No, I, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, keeping in mind that I grew up, again, with a family that was, you know, a family of responsible gun owners. And we grew up with BB guns and, you know, shooting prairie dogs or whatever, you know, with some sort of a vermin in the area. Um, I think of responsible gun ownership as different than carrying one actively or openly. I mean, there's there's a lot of different opinions and ways to look at yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah for my part of the world, I think it's something I grew up with and I think of it very differently. I mean, I don't feel unsafe um, and I can say I, I don't feel unsafe in my part of the world. There are parts of the U.S. that I have felt unsafe. And so I've carried pepper spray. I haven't carried a weapon outside of my own state um, as in terms of like a gun. Um But then I can also say when I've traveled overseas, um, like I've traveled into Mexico overland by myself, I've never had a situation where I felt unsafe in Mexico. And I've spent months traveling in Mexico. Um, And I, I can't think of situations anywhere in South America or in any countries where, you know, I felt like I needed to have something to protect myself like that. I've been in some very uncomfortable situations. I've had my spidey senses go off, so to speak. But again, I think that the thing that keeps you safe is your wits and your head and just kind of, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that a gun makes a difference in that regard. And I really feel personally, even being you know, pro-gun rights in my own country, I would not think that a gun anywhere else in the world would be any benefit to me. I don't feel that way at all. It's for me, a gun belongs at home and it's not, um, it's not something that I would ever take out into the world. And it would, it would make me feel safer as a traveler at all. In fact, it would be just the opposite.
4: Yeah. And that's coming from a young lady that, that travels Solo, I think um, that's very sensible, Michelle, you know, and I, I understand having a, that extra bit of protection if and when you needed it, and I'm sure you're well capable of using it, but um, you know, it, it really doesn't um, fulfil you in your trip, I think, to carry uh, a mm. firearm, for example. I, I just, and I agree with what everyone else says. It's just a negative. You don't yep. need it.
3: And what Grant said about using your mouth. Yeah, it's fine. I can wear down corrupt police. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I'd go against a gun-wielding bandit, but I'd give it a good shot. No, not a good shot.
1: (laughs) Just need to save up verbal ammunition.
5: (laughs)
4: Oh God, She's unbelievable when she starts talking. We got pulled up for doing two Ks over the limit and they just clearly wanted money and yabby 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 Drive drove him down drove him to distraction
3: and they let us go without the money they just wanted him to take the man straight on you take her away
4: love it
1: love it absolutely spot on
0: i got a message here from uh someone from the vermin association who feel it's cruel to shoot vermin just thought i should let you guys know that <laughs> well, Gary, so so no one's carrying a gun. That's very disappointing. And and the grenade thing is out. I can clearly see I'm not going to be getting a grenade anytime soon. It uh, would have been fun to try out. But in any case, let's move on. Let's move on to road hazards I've seen while riding the world. This should be good for some fun. I'd like to talk about some of the hazards that you, you guys have run into. Some of those um, um, not very common ones. And um, then we can talk about how to, how to avoid them and, and maybe what you've learned, et cetera. So road hazards, <laughs> let's start with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad
1: that you have started with me. Um, I have no idea why you have, but I'm really happy that you have. Because I random. have to give everybody a warning here. The biggest warning is that when you go into developing world countries like England that have real road surface issues, you need to learn to slalom before you go there.
0: Solomon, <laughs> mm. so he's so skiing, you're talking.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Sadly, yeah. I know exactly what he's
1: talking about. <laughs> i have got to take my hung out of my cheek now. Um, actually, one of the biggest road hazards is nighttime. Uh, That old saying about never riding at night time makes so much sense. I mean, you can't go to countries that vehicles drive at night time with no headlights or one maybe if you're lucky, so you've no idea if it's a truck, a four by four or a motorcycle, pedestrians in dark clothes and you just don't see them in the shadows by the side of the road, animals, um, potholes, sometimes a couple of feet deep. Um, Even in the daylight, it's easy to miss them. At night time, you haven't got a cat's chance of seeing them. Um, And, you know, sometimes... The warning that there's a pothole there is a little pile of stones by the side of the road or a branch. Well, at night time, you, you just don't see them. Um, missing gratings in the road. I think we've, we told a story about Bogota and how often that happens where they sort of pinch the, the, the metal gratings out of the road and they sell them. Um, but at night time, when, you, when you're bumbling along, you just don't see these things. That old saying about never ride at night time. Yeah, spot on.
3: We hit, uh, well, we hit where a grate should have been when we were in Turkey the first time. And Brian was walking the bike backwards with me on it because we'd seen a hotel sign up a side street. Next thing, we were both lying on the footpath with the bike on top of us because there was a, what should have been a grate was in someone's, um, I don't know, scrap metal recovery yard. Mm -hmm.
0: I'll bet you tore into Brian for not paying attention, didn't you? (laughs)
5: <laughs> I
4: thought you know, I actually, be doing I that. actually
3: didn't, Jim, because I'm not that kind of. Man. <laughs> it
5: just
3: wasn't his
4: fault. I put I put my right foot down, and there was nothing there. And we're going, and I'm thinking uh, this will break my leg. And I just ripped my leg out and scun her shin with that's, my boot.
3: That's what he got into trouble for: kicking me On <laughs> 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 the way down.
0: Was there and water in the, it, in the manhole, Brian? Uh, No, 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 no. it was dry, it was dry, but uh, yeah, we
4: were very lucky actually when you think about it. The other one of those
3: we came across in Cambodia, we could see all these kids sitting on a a bridge and we wondered what they were doing and they were waiting for us to go down the big hole where someone had taken a big slab of of steel out of the bridge and there was just a hole that would have taken the bike down into the waters below. It
4: was about six foot long (laughs) and about, uh, I don't know, uh, half a metre wide I suppose. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Just you <laughs> <The> <laughs> How many bikes were at the bottom? <laughs> <laughs>
6: the kids were hoping you would get stuck in the hole and then they would have to help you out and you would sure aid them. Exactly,
3: mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah, I just wonder right. if they didn't take that piece out of the bridge themselves <laughs> as an enterprising business me. opportunity.
6: Now you talked about a hole in a bridge. How about a hole missing bridge?
5: Uh, oh,
6: yeah, yeah. Um, when we were coming up uh, Pan American Highway and the, there was an El Nino that year and there were literally hundreds of bridges washed out. I remember clearly coming around a corner and then there was a little tiny pile of rocks and a dirt road off to the side. What the heck? And it looked and then I realized that the bridge dead in front of me was gone.
5: <laughs> <laughs> there,
6: there was That's no bridge. Problem. And if I would come around that corner at night there is no way I would have seen that side road and I would have just driven off the end of the bridge. And this was a big bridge. It was like a couple
4: of hundred feet drop. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that was on my list, Grant. Do not ignore little rocks put on the road. Yes. When you well, see the rocks, just a boulder or a stone put in the middle of the road, don't just ride around it because if there's two or three of them, they've been put there for a very good reason. Yeah, the problem is, in this
6: area, I had seen several rocks on the road, and then I saw what the rocks were doing on the road. It was, a truck was broken down, so they put a rock behind the wheels, and then they fixed it and drove away and left the rock there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you get used to driving around the rocks during the day, and then I saw this little pile of rocks, and I, what's this going on? You know, just, just was more than one rock, so it kind of tweaked my spidey sense, as Michelle says. (laughs) Uh, I had a look, and it was still broad daylight, and I could realize that there was no bridge. But at night, I would have just ridden, ridden around it and not even noticed. I would have been toast. So, yeah, don't ride at night. You just can't trust it. And that's why you carry a parachute. <laughs> I always wondered about that thing you had stuck on your back.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's me, Grant. That's old.
6: (laughs) Yeah. The other one that I found that was really a problem was crazy bus drivers. I mean, literally insane. And the bus drivers are worse than
1: the truck truck drivers, aren't they?
6: Oh, far worse. They're racing to get to the next customer. Yeah. I remember and two never of them passing them, me. Never expect them to be on the their
3: side of the road either. Oh, no,
6: they're wherever. <laughs> doesn't matter. I remember two of them racing to get by me. Uh, what is going on? There's buses, one on each side of me, and both of them screeched up to a stop at the next bus stop, somebody waving them down. You know, King to blows trying to get the customer.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts.
6: <laughs> and the other yeah, one was this, this stretch of road, it, well, I shouldn't say road. It was dirt and mud you know, coming down from Tikal. And the road was so wide, it was like a 15 lane freeway across. But yeah. there was only one path. And the bus was taking the one path, which basically went from side to side to side to go around the mud holes. It took me an hour and a half to get past them.
4: Yeah.
6: Yeah. They're crazy.
4: So yeah. fast. That, yeah. um, the, the other one is in Iran. No one uses lights at night. Mm. Uh, they'll put their parkers on because they're saving fuel or saving electricity or whatever they're doing. But we, we got caught out uh, late one night, and uh, it's bloody scary when you see these little lights coming towards you. You don't know where they are or oh, what they nice. are. Hey, they're good guys in the in the Sinai Peninsula.
6: No lights. <laughs> we, took a, we took longer to get through Cairo than we expected. And driving through the Sinai to Sharm El Sheikh to do some diving, I'm driving along. and you know, It's getting dark and it's dark. And I see this dark, darker spot ahead of me. I think, what the heck is that? And Whoa, that's a truck pulling <laughs> along at about 30 kilometers an hour, pitch black in the middle of nowhere on a long straight stretch of road.
1: No lights. Yeah.
6: Pull around a pass, and there's another one and another
1: one. That's why you always find carrots in the markets. <laughs>
6: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got me the will Shake and I asked people, you know, what is it? Why are they doing that? Oh, they're saving their light bulbs. Yeah. 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 And somebody else said they're saving electricity for their horn.
5: Ah, that <laughs> makes complete
6: sense because oh, that that's sense. all they drive. But if you save your
0: light bulbs by never using them, then what are you saving your light bulbs for? <laughs> you
4: need them. I guess. Maybe, I guess. Maybe they sold them off. The uh, other the other, the other, other one is um, just going into towns, even in broad daylight, particularly in India and places like that where they have speed humps, but oh, the, the paint is worn off the speed humps and you actually oh, done. So yeah. until you yeah. them, yeah.
6: Topes in Central America, people with lowered motorcycles, like, um, was it Audrey Koch was telling me about, she she had a, she's very short, and she had an F650 lowered, and it was so low that she actually got
0: hung up on a tope. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah,
0: I think I think Elle West uh, was, <laughs> was said the same thing. She's she found the same thing. Her, I, I'm pretty sure it was her. Her bike was lowered, and that's what she found uh, gave her the trouble, was Topos,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, go don't don't, on an angle. don't I laugh at a... this one, but Birgit's only little. So um, we were in traffic in Mexico, and um, she ended up with her front wheel on top of a tope and her legs didn't reach the ground. Oh, no. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I noticed.
3: Be... No one laughed.
1: No, yeah. I noticed. Everybody was full of yeah. sympathy because they were just conjuring up the image and little Birgit's legs. Whizzing backwards and forwards, desperately trying to catch some air was firm enough to put her feet down on. I'm laughing. It had something
0: similar happen. You know, when you're turning around in some dirt and you and you and you tend to go up an embankment or something like that, and uh, yeah, you can't reach the ground. I mean, you, you can yeah. side shift and, and and reach the ground, but I mean, it's uh, yeah, that's that's a tough one to deal with.
6: You can't do it fast enough. Yeah, exactly. But I've done the same for Brian. I was uh, pulling out of a parking lot and somebody cut me off, and I slammed on the brakes, put my foot down. And that was where the big pothole was. Man. So So, annoying.
1: Now, we're motorcyclists, aren't we? So um, we all love curves and bends, don't we? Sure. How many issues are hiding around corners and bends so often, so many times? Sleeping or riding on autopilot when you're on a big trip just doesn't make any sense at all, at all, does it? Especially when you're riding in somebody else's country and dealing with their roads and rules. I remember coming into um, Honduras and um, it was just after Hurricane Mitch. and We hadn't heard an awful lot about it, except for there were a lot of refugees on on the roads and so on. So we were kind of watching out for them. But um, this one section of road coming away from the board, it was fantastic. This is motorcycle road. Each one of those curves had been made for motorcycling, so we were just dropping in them and buzzing out the other sides and so on. Really into it. We were riding as if the police were after us, and actually it might have been that they were, but that's another story. (laughs) We came around one corner, (laughs) and the road, um, because of the hurricane, um, the road had just collapsed. There was about three feet worth of road left on one side, and all of the rest had just disappeared. If we'd been going a couple of miles faster... And um, we would have been straight over the edge of that. And if we have been riding at night, of course, we would have been. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
6: Yep. yep. Well, that's right. the same thing that we found in, uh, on the Pan-American Highway, the same thing where that missing bridge was. Uh, There's a long straight stretch of the Pan-American Highway. I've got an aerial picture of it, and it's just water, nothing but water. And underneath that water, there are missing pieces of road, like a whole two lanes gone. And um, people driving along it, you could easily disappear. So, yeah. Big chunks of road just gone from the water.
0: Yeah, that's where I was yeah, going but- when I asked Brian about the was there water in the in the manhole? Um, because water hides all kinds of things. So all as it takes a heavy yeah. rainstorm. You you ride along an yeah, yep. asphalt road yeah. that's full of potholes and it looks perfectly flat just a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm riding a, a trail that, um, I've been on, you know, before and, and it's usually fine, but there's been so much rain, the trails flooded out. And as I'm standing there and it, this is like for three quarters of a kilometer and it's a straight stretch that you can see it's an abandoned railway line. Um, but a guy comes up and, uh, he says, you know, we, we get chatting and whatnot anyway. And, and, uh, off he goes, he just, he doesn't even check it. <laughs> he doesn't worry about it. He just rides straight through it without checking it. And to me, I'm thinking all it's going to take is a part of that trail that's washed away and you're going to be in three or four feet of water or worse.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: yeah, yeah. 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 And it, probably the scariest experience we had in our entire trip was, we, it was uh, somewhere in Mexico in the Yucatan Peninsula, a massive tropical storm came in, but we were out in the middle of nowhere. So we followed a bus and if I couldn't have followed the bus, I wouldn't have been able to tell where the road was. It was just, it was underwater. It was gone. Um, it get got dark Occasional lightning flash. I mean, really, really bad. And uh, then we pulled into the town, and the town was flooded. There was mm-hmm. two feet of water, three feet of yeah. water everywhere. So I'm riding along on this road, and are there potholes? Or is is there is the road there? I don't know. I have no idea. And it's dark, and we're trying to find a hotel.
4: That was not a good experience.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah. We we had the same thing in Zambia. We crossed the border. And uh, a torrential downpour, same sort of thing, Grant. And I'm watching this bus come towards me on this so-called made road and he's dodging left and right, left and right. Ooh, uh, I, and, I, and I worked it out that he was dodging, trying to dodge the potholes. Mm. And, uh, you know, I dropped down to almost walking pace to to um, wait for a bus to go past and then just follow the bus, just uh, back a bit, you know, and just watch which way he went and if he's... If you um, threw up a lot of spray, well, you didn't go there. You tried somewhere else.
0: Yeah, this Um, is another argument for riding in pairs because if you have your buddy with you, you can send them first. Yes. And and then watch where they go. (laughs) Clinton Smout always says this. We have him on Rider Skills every now and then, and that's one of his big things is always let your buddy go first. It's wise. I mean, very sage advice. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, we did that yesterday. I did that exactly same thing yesterday. We had a, uh, a guy who said, uh, oh, I know where I'm going. I said, good, mate. Well, you can lead because we were going through a lot of kangaroo country and the <laughs> mate I was riding with is the one who came off, hit a kangaroo on his 9162 caddy not that long ago. So he said, yeah, mate, you go first. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: flash floats are particularly um worth paying attention to, aren't they? Because we just talked about flooding and so on And um, in Lahore, um, trundling along through there and all of a sudden, bang, down came the rain. Really, really heavy. And within minutes, literally, um, the road was under a foot of water and I had no idea what I was riding through. But I remember making jokes about it um, in my naivety when I was going along um, Route 66 and um, the section – on the one side of Oatman, you go through some some rolling plains and there are some some gullies there with flashblood signs. And I was cracking jokes about it. And when I, when I did that with a local, he sort of looked at me with a very stern expression on his face, which also had woven into it, you bloody idiot. <laughs> um, and, and just sort of said to me, look, you know, people stop to look at the view down one of those things. And seconds later, um, that's it, they're gone because the flash floods literally are flash floods. You can be coming down from the mountains nearby and you don't know a thing because you're standing in the desert and that's it, gone. And I mean, that's another thing, isn't it, about um, when you're looking for somewhere wild to camp is um, never put your tent in a a gully. Um, You never know what's going to come down it. Mm
2: -hmm. That's true. You know, and there's a lot of those, particularly, as you say, like in deserts. So when it's dry and dusty and you you least suspect it is probably when you're even more vulnerable
0: and and it can be some of the nicest places that looks like a nice place to camp as well
2: yeah that's exactly right but then i've crossed some uh, what are dry water crossings um in mexico i remember crossing one on the baja that had just a little thin layer of water like a stream trickling across it it was maybe you know six or eight feet wide and and what a centimeter deep at most, and I thought nothing of it plowed right through, but it was covered in this. Uh, the surface of the concrete underneath was covered, you couldn't see moss, but it was like moss. an algae, oh, yeah. algae. Oh, yeah. exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah. just
2: as slimy and slippery. And so, oh, yeah, I, I topple over in a centimeter of water,
0: yeah. <laughs> and it's like you yeah. have Pretty no control at all. Like, it's not even yeah. a warning, is it? It just you go down just yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. like ice, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
4: One of the scariest moments I had, and sure wasn't with me, I was riding uh, in the city and you go over an overpass over a freeway and it, it, it was a bit of a bend and I came around the corner, just minding my own business, and right in the middle of my line was a road sign that had fallen off a truck. Oh. So so if I'd have hit that, it would have taken both wheels out and I'd probably be over the edge onto the freeway below Mm-hmm. Um just so dangerous. Yeah. Untied loads are uh, one of the my my pet hates, where you yeah. see a ute or something like that driving along with a load in it. And I went past one the other day and he had a heap of chicken wire and a wheelbarrow upside down bouncing along in the back of the ute. And I thought, I don't care if I get a speeding ticket, I'm going past this, I'm not sitting yeah. behind it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for like, those who are on our side of the pond, a Ute is a pickup truck. And I, I just want to say that, the, yeah, yeah the, um, that 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 problem of things falling off vehicles, I've heard of it several times now, where it takes out a group of riders. And it's one of the things that I don't like riding in close groups. I just I just don't like it at all. And and that is one of the reasons because it's like like a bunch of bowling pins. Something comes in and yeah. it just takes yeah. all the riders yeah. out. So it's um, that exactly. can be a real hazard.
6: You've got to really spread out. People ride far, far too close. Yep. They assume that they can react fast enough. Mm-hmm. No, you can't.
0: Yeah. The yeah. last one I heard about was a a mattress that came off uh, from a I think it was an RV that was, somebody had a mattress on the back or maybe it might have been one of those swimming toys. But in any in any case, it yeah it, it took out a group a group of riders behind it, and it just wow. happened so fast. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I don't even yeah. like following trucks. If I see a truck up ahead of me, I Make sure I've got room to pass, and I pass from a long way away, and I pass in the farthest, farthest, farthest left edge, and get past them quick. I do yep. not hang around. I have seen far too many pieces of tire flying across the road.
4: Yeah, yeah, or a rock yeah, like, or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anything comes out between comes hey, the wheels. A rock. I've had rocks thrown at me like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's one of the I reasons did, why did,
1: having decent handguards makes so much sense, is not yep. it? Because rocks yep. get thrown up by trucks all the time. Very true. Yep. Yep. Oh,
4: and and
5: uh,
4: I did, I did tell you the story, I think, about following a, a truck full of cattle. That's oh. dangerous.
5: <laughs> That's <laughs> dangerous. <Yeah>. <laughs>
6: <laughs> More dangerous to your... I don't know, your sanitary status. (laughs) You you surely,
0: you know, because you you, you kind of complained there about being on the back and being the guard for the back. In a way, Brian's your guard for the front, and I think you get a lot more coming that way. I think you're better off.
3: Yeah, I think so too. You're right, Jim.
0: It's a good spot.
1: (laughs) When Birgit and I were in Argentina, we came across something that we'd we'd never had a problem before with, um, and that was they were doing a lot of road construction and they were building flyovers and all of this sort of thing. Um, but what we didn't realise was that actually they hadn't connected the concrete of the flyover with the asphalt of the road, the road that it was joining, and so there were six inch drops um plus in quite a few places. And if you weren't paying attention, um, yeah, you really got clobbered with those. Um, mm-hmm. It was amazing that some of the vehicles actually made it over them because we were driving driving with. Um, cars that were held together with parcel tape and that sort of stuff, and they were just going bang, oh. down over these drops. Oh, yep.
6: sure. Not well signed. You do have to pay attention on construction in this, in lots of yeah.
4: places. They just yeah. don't bother signing It's your problem to pay attention. What's the name of that tunnel that they built in, that the Russians built in Tajikistan that goes through the mountain? And, uh, oh, it's, a, it's, it's notorious. The Tunnel of Death. It is called the Tunnel of Death, but it has a particular name. And um, it's usually full of, you know, got covered in water, but the concrete has broken away so much that bits of rio, rio stick up through um, the concrete and uh, are great for puncturing tyres. Oh, the, the
0: rebar on through. the
4: ground, you mean? Like on yes. The- oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Wow.
5: Um,
4: and we came a- came to the entrance of that tunnel and it was blocked and we had to go over the mountain pass in the dirt. Sure. Remember? Yeah, it's yeah. Um,
3: the Anzop Tunnel.
4: Anzop Tunnel, that's it, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's notorious. I've got a couple of mates who um, wear it as a badge of honour that they made it through there and uh, take the piss out of me all the time because we didn't ride through it, but we couldn't because it was blocked.
0: Right. In Is it race. lit? Do you know? Are there, are there well, lights inside? No, no, no. What's lighting? You don't
6: have lighting in Norway doesn't have lighting in a lot of their tunnels. <laughs> I was just
1: thinking that, Grant. Yeah. And Burger no. and I got a course out the first week that we were riding there because, you know, we had our sunnies on. Yes. Um, beautiful weather, um, cruising along and all of a sudden into, you know, we've been in and out of quite a few tunnels. Norway has the most tunnels um, in, yeah. in any country in the world. And uh, we've been in in some of them and they were great, absolutely fantastic. And all of a sudden we were into this one, no lights, um, gravel instead of asphalt. And I, I don't know how Berg it stayed on. Uh, Because she has shocking night vision and we both had sunglasses on. At least for me, my headlight was catching the reflective strips on the back of her panniers. But for her, she had nothing. Um, So, yeah, mm, not good.
6: I I know the exact same tunnels (laughs) and sunglasses as well. I wear Uh, prescription sunglasses.
3: I can't even take them off yeah we went through a tunnel in one I can't remember what country it was now, but it had traffic lights because it was only a one lane tunnel and we went through oh yeah it was dirt and it was wet and muddy and sloppy and no lights. and we went through on the green light and got to the very end just as the truck was coming in on the red light. and when we got through the the road workers gave us a standing ovation that we'd made through made it through unscathed and without having a head on with the truck. That was tricky. Wow. Wow. The, the,
4: wow. Thing, yeah, the thing in those tunnels which have a dirt floor is the dust lifts up and your lights catch all the, the dust particles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back at so It's like fog. You can't see. Yeah. yeah. So
5: mm-hmm.
4: If you're going into a, a dirt tunnel somewhere, slow right down. Yeah. Don't be a hero. Yep.
1: Oh, I wheel, wheel ruts. And no. have you guys played with those?
6: Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not, I don't how like to call it play. Tried to survive is more likely. <laughs>
1: uh, and, and everybody who's um, ridden on dirt roads, um, muddy dirt roads, and has a BMW um, knows the challenges that the cylinders can cause. Um, you can cope on the sides of the road, can't you? But panniers can also be quite entertaining. Mm. Um, sort of aquaplane along the top of the mud if you go fast enough. <laughs> And in some parts me. of the world you've got um situations like in Kenya for example um and Ethiopia uh, a lot of the truck drivers uh use um they chew uh, something called chat which is um it's a plant and it's uh, it's an amphetamine and um, they chew it to keep to keep awake but my goodness um you you can see the ones that are stoned because they're quite aggressive with their driving style um yeah let's put it this way decisive driving in a big
4: Driving here, uh, mm-hmm. we, we came across. Uh, we we're travelling up from choir um, um, and a truck driver went past us reading the newspaper on the steering wheel as <laughs> he's driving along.
0: Well, I mean that's not yeah. as bad as texting, is it? It's only a one-way thing. Oh, well,
2: that's true. <laughs> it's all relative, right? <laughs> How- How about those long stretches of gravel road or dirt roads where it looks smooth, it looks level, it looks even, and then you come across gravel that's super deep, freshly graded, or maybe just a hole in a gravel road that's full of sand, um, really? Fesh, fesh, mm. and holes just mm. in the middle of mm-hmm. nowhere, big as a car, as wide as the road. And you just dive into them and ride out the storm as best you can. Yeah. 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 They, they, they,
4: they call it bulldust here in Australia.
2: Yeah. yeah. I kind of really like fesh, fesh. It's,
3: it's got a good sound to
6: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Susan and I ran into that on, um, oh, what's it called now? Southern Malawi, southern end of Malawi, the road going across. Sam, you must know the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, when we went through, it was dirt. It's now paved, so it's easy. But there was some construction going on, and it was an old road, and this is desert area, and there was some gravel and there was a bit of sand here and there. And the stutter bumps or corrugations, whatever you want to call them, were so bad that I couldn't ride at low speed. So I had to get up to I think about seventy kilometers an hour. It wasn't too bad, and it was kind yeah. of kind of kissed the top of them, and it was okay. So we're zooming along and all of a sudden, there was just a giant stretch of fish fish. <laughs> and the bike's just kind of weaving. I'm going from side to side. It's not quite full lock, but it's you know, it's kind of this is not good. We hit another one and another one and another one. But we kind of got used to it after a while. As long as you had enough speed and kept going straight and didn't do anything, it was okay. But it it was really scary, and if you were not an experienced rider, you could get yourself in some serious trouble there, especially if you tried going really fast, because when I went faster, the corrugations were just not a problem. It was very smooth, but I didn't want to hit it too quick.
0: That does come with a risk, though. You, you try and stop oh, when you're yeah. going that speed off the tops of the, yeah. of the yeah. washboard it or does. whatever you call it. Yeah, that's that's risky. That's, yeah.
4: it, it, even in a, even a four-wheel drive, you hit that stuff. There's a lot of rollovers in the outback because of that. You yeah. know? You're, yeah. you're going along, you're just kissing the top, and you hit that, and it's like a tug on the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And if you're not paying attention or you just got one hand on the wheel, it'll be ripped out of your hand and a lot of cars get rolled over that or, way. Or something comes out just, in front yeah, of you. Think, I mean, think.
0: you start to get on the brakes and the next thing you know, I mean, you're going in whatever direction yeah. you you were headed into yeah. before you stepped on the brakes, right? Yeah. 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 And just so, sand on a
6: heavily loaded bike. Um, you know, the, the typical information or method of riding in sand on a bike is gas it, sit back and, Keep the front end light and keep the throttle on. Well, that's great on a on a proper dirt bike, but you try and do it with a heavily loaded touring bike. Well, the faster you go, the the farther you're,
0: gonna when you're <laughs> the going
3: to fly. That's why you need. Your that's parachute. why you
0: need the
1: parachute. Right, but the further that's you slide
0: <laughs> back, the more the more you push your passenger back. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that it's just that helps keep out. the front end light. There you go. I had a section in um, northern Kenya where the road suddenly turned to um, stutter bumps, and I've never heard that um, description for them before. That brilliant, stutter bumps, love it. What do you call them? Um, Corrugations.
0: Corrugations. It was
1: washboard here.
0: It's interesting here. Yeah, washboard.
5: Yeah,
1: Yeah, that works. Describes it nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, But stutter bumps, that's kind of cute. I like that. I like that, Um, but so anyway, we're sort of blatting across the top of these, and I've never really ridden um, stutter bumps before. Um, so, I'm, but I've read about um, scooting along the top of these, and I'm trying it, and um, to my surprise, it's working. And once I get used to the idea that the bike's swaying backwards and forwards as I'm going, you know, it's not keeping in a straight line, and I've just got to let it do its thing. Um, just keep the throttle open. I'm having a ball, but it's tiring. It's really hard work, total concentration, and you know every muscle in my body's working and I see this long straight stretch of smooth down by the side of the road and it must have been about 30, 40 yards long so I thought oh a quick holiday straight on that bollock bang down I went it was soft sand wasn't it Mm -hmm. but I hit that hard enough for my leg to be underneath the bike because there was no time to react and the impact was hard enough to rip the sole off my motorcycle boot. Now, what would it have been like if I hadn't been wearing proper motorcycle boots?
4: Yeah, yeah that'd be your foot. Mm-hmm. That wasn't yeah. a hospital trip. That wasn't a hospital trip, Steve. No, it wasn't. Oh, no, I was good. Just Amazing. That's kind of neat,
1: isn't it? Well done. One, so one cool. I got away was, my, my guardian angel was awake that day.
0: <laughs> you, you know, I was thinking with all the hazards that we've discussed so far, I think the one that's safest for the rider, but worse for the bike, is water. Because when the bike goes down in water, of course, it's going to suck in water and the engine's going to hydraulic or possibly, but at least that it cushions your fall. I mean, doesn't it, Sam?
1: <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that, Jim. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever fallen off in water. It's, it's nice
0: to have something to look forward to. <laughs> there you go.
1: Yeah, but I've learned enough Jeez. now to close the throttle as I'm falling. Mm. Good. Uh, Michelle, Michelle
4: fessed up to falling off in water, Not, admittedly, not much water, but water.
2: <laughs> I did. Yeah. And I've I've had plenty of offs on dry roads too. I, something came to mind just as you guys were talking about my first crossing into Mexico. And we've seen lots of topes that look like speed bumps that are kind of asphalted and go across the whole width of the road. But in a lot of places they have what I call turtle domes and they are like rows of the little silver domes that you drive over. And so, These six or eight inch diameter kind of half soccer ball sized domes Mm -hmm. are lined up to cross the whole road. And the first time I ever crossed into Mexico, and of course, I'm full of nerves, I'm terrified, and I go over this uh, row of turtle domes. And that's all fine, but I have to, I'm not paying attention to my companion and he's turned a sharp right turn. So I'm going very slow speed and I take a sharp right to try and catch up with him and park in front of the aduana and I dump the bike over. And I'm laying on its side and I'm splayed out. Welcome to Mexico. I'm not six feet into the country and I'm already on the, on my side.
5: But that my companion,
2: <laughs> it was really classy. My companion came over though and said, well, hey, isn't it nice to know you can drop the bike and not break a leg? Because the, the first time I ever dropped my bike, I broke my leg. So, hey, <laughs> Sam, I'm right there with you.
0: Go on you, mate. you. Did you learn the technique, Michelle, to, to pull your leg out? Was that it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no 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 i just wrote it out tuck i tucked him in because that is spray- something
0: to practice right i mean for for all for yeah. riders is to pull that leg up you know when you're yeah. going down on that low side get that leg out you do not want the leg under there and a lot of people will hold on they just think they're just going to hold on well that peg folds <laughs> no. up and there's not much room step there. away yeah. yeah step away
2: No, I had hard luggage, so thankfully I had a little bit of space that I could tuck my leg into.
1: Mm. Uh, Shirley's going to laugh at me here because, um, Michelle, you you just um, bounced a thought into my mind. One of the reasons I really enjoy riding a BMW is because I've got the cylinders in the front and the panniers at the back, so I've got a falling-off pocket.
3: (laughs) Why would I laugh (laughs) at you, Sam?
1: Well... You remind me of really my reputation world. from
0: some time. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, have you picked up a sponsorship from BMW or something? That's like twice you've mentioned BMW in this episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we
1: really just that. Just have an addiction, you know. It's, it's <laughs> a worrying thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Any other road hazards that we haven't talked about?
1: Yeah, cattle, goats, dogs, children, oh. people.
0: Yeah, dogs, especially those ones.
2: Capybaras,
0: dogs. What did you say, Michelle?
2: Capybaras. Okay. <laughs> I remember being in Brazil and I had never seen anything like it. I Sam said at the beginning of the discussion something about slalom and that was exactly the word that I that came to mind. I'm riding down a two lane highway in Brazil and see something laying in the road in the distance. And it looks like roadkill. And of course I get closer and it is, and it's a capybara, which is a kind of a rodent, but this one must've been 80 pounds <laughs> and he was laying in the middle of the road. And so I go around him, I kind of weave into the other lane and go on. And then I start to see more and more and more. And I literally am weaving and slaloming between capybara for about three miles. It was it was a section of road along a river and I could look down into the riverbank and see hundreds of these rodents, these capybara sunning themselves along the edge of the river. And, and a lot of them must have decided to cross the road during the night when trucks were coming through and they were all still there. And the aroma of that whole section of road was terrible. Wow. So yeah, capybara.
0: Michelle, why did the okay. capybara cross the road?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was coming.
0: Sorry, I just couldn't resist that. Well, he actually, left
3: his hand in. grenade.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
5: I've
6: seen the same thing with toads. Hundreds and hundreds of toads yeah. on the road. Bodies squashed everywhere, trying to weave around in between them. Yeah. No.
3: In Queensland, it's a sport to try and kill them when they go across the road. The cane toads. Yeah. Yeah, Terrible. Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. And then, of course, we all know about kangaroos.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, Wild pigs, deer. Wombats. Wombats. You don't want uh, to hit a wombat. No. Are cane toads indigenous to Australia? I can't
3: remember. Uh, No, Sam, they're not. They were brought into Australia to kill the little bugs that were eating the cane. And the little bugs have well gone and the cane toads are just terrible and they get into um, boxes of bananas and end up in the south and, yeah, they're just such a pest.
0: Why are the rabbits there again?
3: Uh, For entertainment that the British thought they needed when they came to Australia.
0: Yeah, they brought them in to shoot them and,
4: uh, yeah, good one. Same with foxes.
3: (laughs) Uh, And camels and um, prickly pear. The, what did the Romans do for the world, but what did the English do for Australia? Sorry, Sam. <laughs> oh, no, no,
1: no, not at all. Don't worry. I'm, I'm African when these conversations come up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you go into, into countries where um, the British have managed to make themselves persona non grata and somebody says to me, so where do you come from? Oh, I come from the Congo. Yep, <laughs> that works. Can
0: you, can you do a Congolese accent and lose the British accent?
1: Oh, I used to be able to, but it's a bit rusty now. I've well, been do you want to try it for a year for us? and a half? I mean, no, just give it a go. No, 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 no. no, no. Get, <laughs> ask, ask me in a couple of episodes' time, and I'll tell you what. I may be able to do a Zambian one then, because um, after three months of hunting, we finally got somebody to um, to take care of my mother, and she's an absolutely brilliant lady from Zambia. And just listening to her accent is magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. she's she's brilliant fun.
3: We'll expect voices from Sam next next anyway. <laughs> episode. Yeah, you guys will have to
0: remind me that, okay? Because we're going to have to hold Sam to that and get him doing his his imitations. Um, it, it right. Just it just made me think of what, what's your favorite accent that you hear, Sam?
1: My favorite accent, yeah. Oh, there are just such wonderful accents all the way around the world. I mean, the United States has some brilliant accents. And when somebody that's says true, to me, the United yeah. States is one country, I don't think of it as being that way. I think it's a, it's a collection of countries because, you know, each state almost has got a different accent and some of them are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like Australian accent. You get, um, and, um, I like the South African accent. Um, that's Ooh. a lot of fun. Um, yeah. What else, do I, like? I love the Irish accent.
3: Oh, the Irish,
1: Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Irish accent. Yeah, wow, yeah. it's just beautiful to listen to, isn't it? It makes me smile at whenever I hear it. How about you guys? Anybody else favorite accent?
6: Well, hey, uh, yeah. I go with well, uh, Sam. I, 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 he's exactly right on for my money.
4: Yeah, yeah, the Irish Irish accent is. It's like a sing song, isn't it? Really. Yeah. 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 Lovely.
0: Well, um, I, I guess we should move into plugs. Since um, I'm just looking at the time here and realize we're, we're probably getting a little bit long here. Is anyone not ready for plugs?
3: All oh, good.
0: Oh, I knew you'd say that. Shirley, what do you have? You're first up.
3: I actually have a plug. Wow. That's <laughs> a good. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Hang
0: on. I got I my calendar up here. I'm going to mark this down.
3: I'm, I'm so excited. And sorry, Michelle, but I know you're going to plug this, but I got in first.
0: Um. <laughs> Wait a second, Shirley. Is this a stolen plug?
3: It's kind of borrowed Mm. It's a borrowed plug not stolen, Jim Um, It's the second annual Black Hills Moto Film Festival which I know Michelle has been talking about for the last couple of months and we were very blessed and honoured to be asked to judge the films and we have watched all of the films be they ultra short, short, feature novice filmmaker, experienced filmmaker and there are some absolute cracking films, and um, I just highly recommend people get online, get their tickets, and have a look. Um, You will be inspired. If you're anything like me, you will laugh yourself silly. You will cry. Uh, They're just brilliant, brilliant films, all manner of motorcycle travel, um, couples, solos, funny people, sad people, inspirational people, animals it's spectacular. Congratulations, Michelle and the Rev Sisters for putting together a fine, fine collection of motorcycle films. And anyone who's locked down, you will fill in hours at the film festival. Absolutely
0: brilliant. Now we're going to have a link in the show notes to this. Shirley, how many films did you guys watch? Do you you know how many there were? 29.
3: 29
0: films. Wow. That's a lot of sitting around in your living room. Watching films. Oh, we're,
3: we're in lockdown, <laughs> <laughs> so, but also, um, someone said to me, someone who has judged film festivals in the past said, "Just watch the first twenty minutes of the features, and and you'll get the hang of it. You you'll know whether it's yeah. any good or not." We watched everyone yeah. from beginning yeah. to end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. nice! No. Um, I, I did the same um, because th- these the, the 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 films that the guys have collected. To, to go into the festival, wow, um y- you can't just watch the first ten, fifteen, twenty minutes because no, no, absolutely sure. gripping. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the most beautiful things about this festival is that a lot of these films just they they just wouldn't get the airing. But don't they yeah. deserve it?
2: Yeah. They do. Absolutely mm-hmm. they do. Thank you to you both, to Sam in in the past and to Brian and Shirley for being judges this time, because we really appreciate that. And I I love having a, you know, a wide variety of films, but a wide variety of background of judges too. So thanks for being part of that. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. pleasure.
0: Mm -hmm. What's the website?
2: uh revsisters.com and tickets are free for the first weekend as always uh, we just want people to have something to do and, and it's just something fun for the moto community you can watch them worldwide online uh for the first weekend so yeah
0: how does it work is that um, on demand mm-hmm. or, or that you want they sort of broadcast and schedule
2: Nope. It's on demand. So we queue up a playlist. We send out an email. If you register for a ticket, we send out an email with a playlist, um, a link to a playlist and you can, you know, hop around, watch them out of order. You can, you know, stop and go back and replay or whatever. But as Shirley mentioned, there's 29 films in this, this particular festival, it's almost 16 hours of watching. So it's, it's a lot of footage, but yeah, a lot of fun.
0: And these are screened in advance like when you when you get them in you guys screen you don't just accept everyone?
2: No, I had um I did the selections this year and I did select almost almost every novice filmmaker because this this particular festival we wanted to really, you know, support people that are just new at making films. And so I wanted to give them kind of a platform for that, but the professional or experienced filmmakers we choose. And I think I had 92 submissions, so I watched 92 films wow. <laughs> Ooh, wow, wow. <laughs> Yeah, but Michelle, the novice filmmakers the one
3: thing we I found could. is um, how clever they are Yes, I, I know yeah. these days of having a drone makes um, filmmaking for the amateur a, a lot easier but still they are really clever insightful people these, yes. uh, these novice filmmakers some of them you just think, no this can't possibly be uh, yeah. someone who's only made one or two films and some of them were like an hour and a half features and they were really yeah. well put together yeah. well edited.
0: Uh-huh. The, the yeah. reason I asked about it are they screened because I think that's really neat because I mean you can you can sit down and watch films and not be impressed with them but if you're looking at a selection like you said a playlist that you've already screened, then you know you, that what you're watching is going to be all good stuff right So I like that that's that's pretty neat for people. So revsisters.com, yeah. well done Shirley. Um,
3: Yes, thank
2: you.
0: What do you have?
3: Sorry, Michelle. (laughs)
2: No, no, no. Are you kidding? Thank
4: you. I'm just plugging our little wall-to-wall ride. As we said, it's been cancelled, The large ride going to Canberra in Australia, so um, that's off. But people are still registering, and a shout-out to everyone who has registered because the money goes towards uh, supporting the legacy, which is just fantastic. And um, get online and, and uh, buy a raffle ticket for the um, for the uh, brand new MTO 9 Yamaha that Yamaha have donated to us, which is just unbelievable. But um, if COVID allows us to do so, we're going to run a, uh, a small ride uh, in Victoria and uh, I think Queensland are running one, Northern Territory are running one, WA are running one and South Australia and Tasmania. So uh, there are small rides to be done. Um, I've, I'm going to go and do a scout ride to try and find a nice route through where we'll have a little wreath-laying uh, ceremony at the monument to the um, police that were killed by Ned Kelly and his gang uh, at Mansfield. And we'll finish up there. So that's on September the 18th. And you just get on to wall 2 and uh, you can register if you haven't registered already. If you are registered, you'll have got an email from us asking for expressions of interest to who, who would be involved in this uh, shorter ride. Um, so uh, just let us know so we can account for the numbers and keep within the COVID restrictions that we're living under at the moment.
0: So that's neat. So unless, because the whole ride is cancelled, you're you you're all doing in your own little section, your own little pen, so to speak, where you can't go out of. Well,
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that's what well, we're trying to. Um, yeah. And we're, we're doing all the planning, but you know, these things can... Change at a day's notice if there's outbreaks. And we've just got to be prepared for that.
1: Very cool.
0: That's great. That link uh, will also be in the show notes. Thank you, Brian. Michelle, what do you have for plugs?
2: Well, I I guess in the spirit of paying it forward because Shirley did for me and I didn't even realize this was the theme of today's plugs, but I'm continuing that because I was thinking the other day of how badly I wish I were going to be able to go to Horizons Unlimited Can West. Um, A few years ago, I presented, gosh, it's probably been six years maybe already since I presented it in a cusp. And I just want to say kudos to Grant and Susan for all of the work that they do. And it is such a fantastic um, event and production that I'm still missing it and still wishing I could be there. So anybody that has the opportunity, by all means, if you can't make it to uh, Can West, get to any Horizons Unlimited event that you can get to. Um, and I'll tee that up and hand it over to Grant if he wants to give details.
4: Grant got nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs>
2: Not anymore, <I> <laughs> Sorry, Grant. I didn't well, mean to thank do that. You, Michelle.
6: That's okay. Um, I very much appreciate that, and you are welcome anytime. We'd love to have you. Well, thank you. I think uh, I think that goes for just about anybody. You know, if you're interested in motorcycle travel, you're thinking about going somewhere. Listen to ARR Raw and then come to a Horizons Unlimited Travelers meeting and you're going to meet a lot of people who are interested in travel, have done all kinds of travel. Um, There's so much to learn, so many friends to make. The number of people that have said to me, I've made some wonderful lifelong friends there or the best thing about the event was sitting around with people who've been there after in the evening around the campfire that was the best part of the event you know that's there's so many comments like that it's um it's really hard to explain because it's quite different from a motorcycle rally or a typical rally um we don't use the word rally for a reason it's a meeting of like minds people coming together to talk about to learn about and to get inspired by other people's travels and tales so it's quite a different thing and um we don't sell day tickets People ask, why don't you sell day tickets? Well, because if you only come for a day or a few hours, you won't get it. Don't bother coming. There's no point. Come spend the time, meet people, sit around the fire with them, sit down to lunch with somebody you've never met before. Get inspired by people's tales and you'll come away a different person with a whole new outlook on life. There is more to this world than your own little corner. Get out and ride. Come to a meeting.
1: I used to help run the, um, the UK um, Horizons Unlimited. and, and well done, we get, Thank you very much. Um, we used to get a lot of people who used to make uh, a lot of very negative comments about the fact that they couldn't have day tickets. And those that just in the end said, yeah, okay, all right, I'll come for the whole thing. The number of comments that people were giving us. If you come in for just a the day, then you're you're not – learning anything you're just seeing a bit and leaving whereas if you're there and you're ending up with the story swapping around the fire and uh, um, the, the beers out to, uh, at, of a night time and all of the rest of it it's 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 travel family and that is one of the best atmospheres in the world it's absolutely brilliant but you've got to be there for the full event
0: pretty amazing that something so unique is uh is Motorcycling, I think that's very cool. You know that uh, that you that Grant and Susan has, have made this thing, but well, I guess that wraps things up for it. We've uh, had a lot no, of doesn't. fun here. No, it doesn't. doesn't Sam, what are Sam, Sam gives a you. plug. Did, did Sam away? not give a plug? I'm sure Sam gave a not plug. Yet? Yet? Just because I'm talking so much, Jim, come on. I'm sure I heard you talk. I I usually zone out when you talk. Sorry, Sam. I I don't listen to what you say most.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, Sam. That's perfectly all right. It's just because I'm about to be selfish and talk about me.
0: Oh, well, I didn't know that. So go ahead and be selfish. Let's hear it.
1: Actually, there is a bit of pay forward going on here as well. But I've got some some news about my books um, that I would really like to share if I may. I'm a bit old school. So my books first came out in printed format, and then they came out as Kindles, and then we recorded them, so they're out as audio books. But I've resisted for a really long time having them out as print-on-demand, basically because they were selling quite nicely from the various outlets with um, you know with them being printed in, in Europe and um, then being shipped out. But actually, with COVID and all of the rest of it, things have been um, somewhat limited, and I've eventually bitten the bullet. Um, and I've bitten the bullet with um, far-flung countries in mind, such as Australia. Far-flung from me, of course. Um, but... Um, the books are now available as um, print on demand from Amazon. So, well, three of them are Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns, and Tortillas, The Totems. Are we've had a bit of a glitch with um, Into Africa, but that's um, maybe even by the time the show goes live, that will be sorted out. But the paying it forward bit um, goes to Mike Fitterling from Road Dog Publications, because um, he's been absolutely fantastic at um, making this happen. And those of you who don't know Mike um, won't perhaps have heard that um, he recovered uh, from a written off bike and broken bones after a deer strike on the Blue Ridge Parkway in Virginia. Um, and just a few weeks after his recovery, he was diagnosed with a detached retina. Uh, if you believe in prayer, please make one for his speedy and full recovery because, yeah, um, everything that Mike does in life involves using his eyes, Um, editing of magazine, editing of books, all of the help that he gives um, so many people like myself around the world. Um, Yeah, um, he's going to be absolutely stuffed if he doesn't get full vision back. So um, regardless of that, The next couple of months are going to be very hard for him. He's a man of action and so being um, laid up and not able to be bouncing around in his usual style. So if you don't believe in prayer, then just um, wing a thought to him if you would, please. So anyway... Thanks very much, Mike, for helping my books to now be available as print-on-demand with Amazon around the world. Much appreciated. And if anybody wants the color photocopies, because they are out in black and white photos, then the Book Depository does free worldwide delivery, or you can nab signed copies direct from me at sam-manicum.com and um, be happy to send them out for you with stickers and so on.
0: An interesting note, Uh, I just talked to Mike a couple of days ago and while well, he's uh, in his downtime now, because he can't do anything, as you mentioned, because this detached retina he's had an operation on, he's listening to raw. <laughs> I guess he's going back to no, all, <laughs> all the old episodes. So he's listening to adventure Excellent. rider radio and raw. So, um, yeah, he'll be, uh, I'm sure he'll be here pleased to, to find the new episode out, um, while he's sitting there dreaming of riding. He's still ordering stuff for his bike though. I know that, um, that's sitting in the shop for him waiting.
1: Uh, good stuff. So,
0: yes. Well, um, I didn't leave anybody out now. I know for sure. And sorry, Sam, for almost cutting you off from there. But, um, that's all right. I, I guess, that's, I, don't mind. I guess that's it. Um, uh, well, you know, wait, 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 I, I want to ask you about the, the print on demand thing. That was the other thing that popped into my head was what, what does that do for you? What, what why the print on demand?
1: Well, it just makes the books that much more accessible because somebody can go to Amazon and Where, If if you're in the UK, for example, you can go to Amazon and you get free delivery and that's that. Um, If you're in the United States, for example, then you can have quite a lengthy wait for Amazon to get them through to the United States. And quite often, you've got a fairly hefty postage to pay on it on top. But with this, um, they're print on demand, so you can have them within a couple of days and it's just local postage. So Uh, it works out to be a, a very good deal for anybody who's having a look at them.
3: And we we do the same thing, Sam. If you buy our Mm. books in the Northern Hemisphere through Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all those online sites, they're print on demand. So they do have black and white photos Um, and that's just, a, I think, a cost and a time thing that it's just impossible to do them with colour photos um, in such a turnaround. But if you want the colour photos um, and colour maps, um, the – real books, should we call them? The other books, uh, we've got them through our website, but it's the same. It's just cost-effective. Postage is crazy.
1: In Australia, it's new. It's only been going um, print-on-demand in Australia for um, the last couple of months. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. yeah. Apparently, it wasn't possible for all that time.
0: Well, that's because it's so far out there, right, Sam? Um, You said they were so far out, it probably took that long to get a printing press in there for it.
1: No, I don't know. No,
0: I'm
4: kidding. It's because we're sitting on top of the world, mate. Oh, you? If you
1: that's it, right? <laughs> and that was me thinking it was because they couldn't get their printing machines to run upside down.
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lubrication issue, isn't it? The oil pan being yeah, on the yeah, right. They got to put the oil pan on the top in Australia. I guess the bikes are like that too, Brian. Is that right? <laughs> so
4: i well, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thank you very much everyone. That was great and uh, a lot of fun as always. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff. Right. Cheers everybody.
5: Peace. Bye.
0: Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw, and thank you to my co host Sam Manicom. Starting with Sam Manicom, he lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lamfer is a motor traveler that also has a couple of great motor travel books The Butterfly Route and Tips for for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes.